morning, listeners, and welcome to an, a special episode of Riddles in the Dark, brought to you by the Mythgard Institute. We are, of course, holding yet another one of those special emergency episodes in response to um, last-minute spontaneous release of copious amounts of content by Peter Jackson and company. Uh, yesterday was the um, uh, lately proclaimed uh, uh, The Hobbit Desolation of Smog fan event that was uh, simultaneously held in multiple physical locations around the world and also live-streamed and for which I failed to procure tickets for, for the L.A. one, unfortunately. I tried desperately, but did not make it. Um, but nonetheless, the vast majority of the information that uh, was released and content that was released there is available on the Internet. So, uh, as always, your um, dedicated, reliable Riddles in the Dark hosts have been plumbing through it, watching it, thinking about it, um, uh, Okay, I'm kidding. We, we mostly just started watching it this morning because we were all very busy. But we are ready to discuss it now and to tell you our thoughts and to tell you what it all really means and to complain that the vast majority of the film has basically been spoiled and released already. So let's get started. I am your co-host, Dave Kale, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Trish Lambert and the Tolkien professor, Corey Olson. Okay. Good morning, you too. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Just, just how livid are you guys? Well, not livid. I, I guess this is disappointed. Maybe I am. I am feeling cautious. Is how I'm feeling, and that's kind of you know my my sort of opening spiel this morning. I just kind of want to talk about this because this is something I, I feel like we are entering into that real danger zone, or rather we have suddenly been thrust uh, in overnight into uh, that sort of danger zone that happens right before the film is released. What I mean is it seems to me there's sort of, there are two two places to be interpretively that are both safe and fun. Uh, one is in the period we've been in most of the year to this point when we're speculating, you know, we know the book we can, you know, we can, we can draw some conclusions and think about things based on what we've seen. You know, we have what we got in the first film. We have things that are released and dribbled out here and there um, and putting those kinds of things together and speculating about, you know, basically constructing theoretical storylines and weighing each one of them and thinking about how these things work. I, I find really fun and a really fun way to engage with the story uh, and to be, to be thinking about uh, the issues. And I mean, engaging with the story, not just with the film, but with the book. I mean, I find that in thinking through these things, um, it really brings to light and sheds light on things that I, I hadn't really thought about with The Hobbit story before. And, and that sort of is a very natural thing. One of the things that is always really a restriction to one's interpretation when you're doing analysis of a thing is basically, what questions do you think to ask when you're reading through? Um, and that's, I think, in, that's one way to put it, basically in a nutshell, why I really enjoy both film speculation and film analysis so much, is that the stuff that the film brings up, the situations that are raised by the film, pr prompt me to ask questions that I might not otherwise have asked about the book. And therefore, I notice things when answering those questions that I might not have otherwise noticed. So, as I say, 
that first place, that speculation place, is a fun place to be. The other place that is a fun place to be is in the place of analysis, when we actually have the film and we can sit down and think it through and uh, and uh, and really examine that story as a story on its own and think about its relationship with the book and do close comparison and contrast. I really, really enjoy um, all that kind of thing. Um, what I don't like is the middle stage, where we're not speculating because we've been told most now of what is going on in the film. There are still some things that are mysterious, I suppose, but the number of things that we don't know about what's going to be covered and uh, how it's going to be covered in the film, that 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 is a shrinking category of stuff. Um, but yet, we're not really in a place where we can do analysis either. See, this is the place that I think is kind of dangerous interpretively, where we have some information, but it's bad information. We don't actually know how it's going to be treated and how it's going to be handled and exactly what's going to be going on in the film. Um, spoiler summaries of somebody else's view of a film um, are one of the least useful kinds of pieces of information as far as really doing analysis of a story. Um, I feel like, you know, you get all the, all, you know, all, some of the facts, some of which, you know, even assuming they're all correct, um, you really can't get any kind of a sense of a story. I mean, it's, it's, it's like reading a, 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 a f you know, a five sentence summary in a different language of a literary, you know, like, like a five sentence prose summary, uh, in English of, you know, the Dante's Inferno or something like that. Like you're getting, you know, translated into a different medium, uh, and in a really crude synopsis, basics of what happened in something in a complete, it's just, I, I, I really dislike it. So I actually feel kind of Increasingly, the more gets released, the more sort of interpretively paralyzed I begin to feel. Uh, because, again, I can't speculate freely anymore because some of the storylines that I would think of or that I have been thinking of seem now to be wrong. So there's no point in continuing to indulge them and talk about them because if we know for a fact they're not happening. Um, and yet I don't have enough to work with to actually really do analysis of what we're told is there in the film. And so, therefore, I... I kind of switch gears when this happens and the gear I switch into is full speed reverse uh, that is not wanting anything to do with it and wanting actually to resist as much as I can the impulse to do interpretation because, uh, you know, interpretation of course, as Sherlock Holmes says you know, doing analysis of insufficient data is always deadly. Never speculate in the absence of the facts. Uh, you know, and when we don't really know what this, you know, how the story is going to be treated, we can't draw conclusions about it. So if you draw conclusions about exactly what's going to be going on and what's going to be emphasized in this story based upon, you know, sketchy, uh, you know, sketchy prose descriptions of what's going on, or even actors' comments or directors' comments or things like that, then you're likely going to be wrong, and you're likely going to bias your your view of the film, uh, you know, in I think some some kind of probably unhappy ways. So anyway, th this is the this is the interpretive situation that I feel is created by this kind of a flood of spoilers, uh, and uh, and it always kind of makes me cranky. So anyway, well, I, I see a silver lining here. I mean, Jackson has saved me, you know, like what eighteen bucks or something, so I don't feel the need to get a ticket to go see this movie before the Mythmoot viewing of it. So mm -hmm. thanks. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, not me. 
I'm going to go watch an opening night. So that, Oh, uh, gosh. See, now I may have to go with you, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and I will. Um, I, I mean, I I will like last year. I'm I'm sure I'm gonna see it early. I think. Oh, because, I'm sure you will. Yeah, because I gonna I, gotta, I, I you know last year there were people who wanted to do interviews on like the day the film came out. So I, I probably right. Not so you had to go at like oh dark thirty to go see exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, I'm 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 disappointed. I think, uh, especially with the twenty minute you know report on the twenty minutes that didn't get streamed, that was shown only to the live event folks, only because there are scenes in there that I really would have preferred to have waited on to see within the context of the whole entire movie. Um, I think it's kind of like you say now. I'm you know it's kind of like the the you know the, the it's kind of like I've snuck into my parents' closet and opened the Christmas gifts early. <laughs> so there's no surprise under the tree, you know. But, you know, I'm kind of being trying to be optimistic and hoping that there's more. One of the things is, you know, Jackson is, seems to be a master of sort of, you know, dealing, you know, bits and dib, dibs and drabs, but holding back some big stuff. And I'm hoping that's kind of what's the case here, that there still will be some, you know, some good stuff. Well, having having perused the the um, the uh, the highly interpretive description of the extra the twenty minutes of footage uh, on the One Ring net website, and by the way, the the, um, the uh, on your point, Corey, like the the One Ring writers are like are are like exemplary at doing exactly what you said which is like you don't get a you don't get a description you get a that person's interpretation of events and yeah and that's actually this, res- yes that's and they the can't resist bearing most. their own little comments about like oh what yeah about this? oh what about that yeah. and a lot of it's sort of like let me i'm gonna add my little aside here that proves that i'm a real tolkien fan because i noticed this and a lot of times it's like useless um uh, non sequitur stuff uh it kind of annoys me but anyway i i did just peruse it Apart from a few things where um, it's like, well, that answered that riddle, and that answered that riddle, they didn't actually give away that much stuff. Um, well, I didn't a lot think of it's, so, yeah. Yeah, well, a lot of it's just kind of like, a lot of it's just, you know, for example, uh, and I'm, I'm not giving any real spoilers away here, but they, they, they showed footage of the dwarves in the boat um, with Bard being sort of smuggled into Lake Town. And really, like, when you read through it, you're like, they really didn't, you know. There's really nothing there. It's just okay. So let's see. They're being smuggled into Lake Town on a boat, as we thought, um, and they don't appear to trust Bard, as we are, as we had already assumed. Didn't really give that much away. There's a, there's a couple sort of definite, like there's a couple riddle answers in there that are like, oh, they've definitively answered that, but didn't really give anything big away. They gave no Dol Guldur um, material away. Um, they gave they gave almost no Lake Town stuff. And they gave very little uh, um, uh, Lonely Mountain material. But I will say, the one thing they did talk about, and I I will say there's one thing I did like about the write-up, is I really enjoyed, in fact, I was just talking to Laura about this yesterday in the Digest, our conundrum from yesterday's Digest is, will the scene of Bilbo stealing the cup be in the movie? And and we both thought no, because it's, you know, how are you going to do that? Um, But what I liked is that's actually how he kind of wakes up to Dragon, I guess. You know, he picks a cup up. So they actually do keep the cup scene in, yep. only that's kind of what wakes the dragon up. So I, that part I liked, and I look forward to that. It's, you know, yeah, it looks like that's in the trailer, um, the three-minute Oh, trailer. yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, yeah, that's right. We see that because it starts to You see to, him holding a cup in his shift. hands. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's yeah. right, and I yeah. like that. I no, that's cool. I, I, I like that too. No, but yeah, Dave, exactly as you're saying, I mean, this it's the thing. It's why of all movie spoilers – 
um, my least favorite thing is the prose description by somebody else of a preview right. that they've seen. Because, again, you're not even getting data. You're getting an interpretation. Um, yeah. And as I said, and especially even... people who, who insist on using it as an opportunity to look about the fact that they got to see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, that is a human weakness and perhaps natural enough. Now, if Dave had seen it, we'd be getting his, his oral it would be completely unbiased. Exactly. Yes. We get Dave's be... perfectly unbiased. Absolutely. Yeah. What you yeah. would have gotten is you would have gotten a bootleg copy of it. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, like I say, I mean, I don't mind. I mean, I guess if Peter Jackson wants to release stuff, he can release stuff. And, and uh, I can, will still sometimes think that it's too much. But, um, but yeah, I really, I don't like being. Um, uh, I, 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 I don't like having my own reactions to the film, you know, my own interpretive responses to the film being colored well, by somebody else. I will give him credit interpretation. Uh, that I will give him he, he and he and Warner credit that I, I think there's a very specific method methodology here that they uh-huh. know they know that by releasing something that it tantalizes the it tantalizes everyone ranging from the people who saw it to the people who only heard that it was released and don't and never actually watch it or read the descriptions they know it tantalizes everyone that it that it on the whole no one thinks poorly of him for this no one's like you know well that jerk that jerk peter jackson the vast majority <laughs> of people are like oh he's engaging with the fans what a great guy right. and he knows that by doing it this way where he does it in a semi exclusive event that's closed and there's no recording of it uh, available and stuff that the only people who will really end up seeing it or, or hearing, you know, hearing details of it are the people that really want to, and that, that it's very easy for everyone else to avoid it. So yeah, yeah. They are geniuses. Yeah. No, he does it very well. He does it very well. And I'm actually thinking, I haven't fully decided yet, but I'm, I, I have not read the one ring right up and I think I might not actually, um, but it, it uh, you're really... not going to be able to resist it. Oh, I bet but I can. I, I, you know what, Corey? I wouldn't bother. <laughs> I there, bet I there can. really isn't very much. There yeah. really isn't very much in there, and it and it certainly doesn't. It certainly doesn't add to your, you know. Like, no. yeah. Well, really if anything, get... it spoiled me because I mean, the, you know, the scene where he names Sting. I wish I could have done without that. I mean, I want to see that in the movie. I don't want somebody describing it to me. Yeah, but I, I mean, I don't know. I there's so little that can really be spoiled of a movie adaptation of a book because if even if i read someone's description of the scene you know it, that's not a whole lot different from reading the scene reading in the, the book, book. Like, yes, seeing exactly. it on the screen seeing it on the screen <laughs> is still a, a different experience yes, I think. yes exactly the, the only scene i would say we get we get some we get some um uh some wood elf um politics scenes and some and, and some some uh some all of the scenes from from the wood elves uh that it looks like they release those are highly those are those are much more novel content spoilery so those are those are, everything else is kind of like yeah that's what we expected so but i don't think it adds that much to have for me to have read it i've read it now and it's like oh all right well yeah. I'm not really it, it's not causing me to anticipate anything any any more than before and it, and it, and you know it, but it also hasn't diminished things much so it's a, it's a it's a overall a neutral so I would yeah. say I wouldn't bother. Okay. Well, let me give and, a... you know any anything to anything to avoid visiting the one room. <laughs> 
probably going to say that, but I, <laughs> I'm just being a jerk. I'm yes, being, yes, Dave just, is Dave's being a jerk. Uh, that's okay. Um, that's okay. Um, but let hey, me. I, so one one comforting thing, Corey. Yeah, one comforting okay. thing. The 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 guy uh, I think it was Demosthenes. The the guy he 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 goes to a lot of these things and. Um, he claims at the end, and and I actually generally think that the OneRing.net people are have a beat on this kind of stuff on sort of the the strategy of of Peter Jackson and the Warner. He says that uh, there was no Bjorn, no Dol Guldor material, etc. And he says that probably there won't be before the film, and that 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 apart from a few tidbits here and there, like blogs or whatever, that probably there's not going to be much more content released. So I think we can rest assured that there probably won't be too much more stuff released between now and the film. Yeah, the one thing is that Peter Jackson in the recent video log did say that he was going to release more. Uh, you know, the, no, come the, on, no, man. No, that he was going to release another video blog. But those are mostly oh, behind okay. the scenes, well, you know, like filming away, of, the, like, of the movie. Yeah, those yeah. usually give away like one or two things, but not much. Yeah, so. there was very little given away. I, th- I mean, as far as totally new stuff that we didn't know or anticipate. Um, I mean, we mostly saw, you know them posturing uh, in front of green scenes for scenes we've already seen in trailers, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, and, you know, like a profile of the uh, new, like, substitute second unit director guy. Um, So, you know, those things were certainly nothing that was uh, film spoilers, exactly. Um, But, yeah. You're talking about the vlog? I'm talking about the vlog, yeah. Um, The one one, uh, scene that I found that took my attention, probably the only one that really took my attention, is at 1.14, 1 minute 14, which looks – it's Thranduil fighting in Lake Town. Okay. I believe he's fighting orcs. So that one I found interesting. Well, since you brought it up, we might as well look at it. I mean, you could just jump right to that point. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, you know, at first I thought maybe it's Dolgulder, but there's snow on the ground, and I think that's a Lake Town um, brand yeah. thing. <laughs> Look back at the pickups that we did in May, June, July this year. Action. Ten weeks of very, very intense shooting for both the second and third Hobbit movies. <laughs> that's awesome! Maybe. This is Lake Town, clearly. So this is the goblins in Lake Town that we saw before. Right. Lakes right. So pushing poor Lake Town peasants into the icy water. And that looks like, oh, I can't really, no, it looks like a Lake Town person. I was going to say maybe it's a dwarf. But yeah, no. no, I think it's a Lake Town person. Uh, and then... It's a little bit beyond this. This is Thorin? Wrestling with someone? Hard to tell. Um, sorry, so this is not the, there. It is that right there, right there, right there, right there. Yeah, there yeah. You got it. This is it. Um, is that Lake Town? You've got stone cobbles, though. It's, it's, it's definitely not. Um, I mean, I'm tempted to say it's definitely not Mirkwood, but I suppose it could be. We've never uh, seen uh, snow. What about those? What about the like fortress? You know, tower things that we've previously the the thing from the Lego set. The thing from the Lego set. Well, Maybe Thranduil will make it... an appearance in the Lego set after all. Yes. <laughs> Maybe he wasn't just a bonus it... boss figure. 
We thought they just crowbarred him into that, but maybe in fact exactly. that is actually accurate. <laughs> right. So no, as... I mean, I, I was thinking it could be Mirkwood, but again, the snow kind of threw yeah, me. It's true that we have not seen snow, and certainly that scene that we've seen a hundred times of Azog jumping up onto the parapets um, does not, I mean, does not look like there's any snow in the background. That still looks like green foliage in the background. So, um, but maybe as time is advanced, maybe this is in the latter half of the film and yeah, we have orcs advancing yeah. and that's when Azog And they are, that in. orc is um, armored where the other orcs were not armored, right? I mean, this looks like it could actually be an armored orc in a, in a on-purpose assault of Mirkwood. So it could be later in the movie. Yeah, well, they're definitely, look, these are bareheaded oh, they're, goblins they are armored here. Bear, that's true, yeah. I mean, they've got some I was some thinking armor. the orcs from Dal Guldur, you know, the ones where we see them... Um, uh, marching in ranks have that kind of have those kind of like the head the right. helmets and right. stuff. Right. Yeah, I mean these are definitely I mean they they all have helmets whereas the other orcs all did not. So it does look like they could be two different two different goblin units here. Or the goblins or perhaps these goblins were smart and realized that running around um running around in Lake Town next to the water wearing full armor not a great idea. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and well, those guys look like water. Those... you slip and fall in the cold water wearing heavy helmets and armor. <laughs> you're, you're out there. Back well, these the guys surface. actually look like the guys that have been hanging with Azog. These guys yeah. here in Lake Town, um, but the other ones—I mean, I do think those look like the Dog Door armored orcs. Yeah. Anyway, it could yeah, be possibly. I mean, one of the things from the from the One Ring write-up also is that um, the scene we've seen where Tariel's yelling at the orc—you know—they've like captured an orc. That scenes go a little further, and that's the orc that actually clues uh, Thranduil in that that Sauron that they're dealing with, and apparently he gets really yes. worried. Yeah. Let's see. Here's the description of this the second unit director. This is your life, second unit director. Um, and that's. Gandalf, right? Outtakes from yeah, from Gandalf and Radagast. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. How does it feel to be the B director, second unit director? Awesome. Apparently. Actually, it's not even that's the splinter unit. It's the splinter, it's the splinter unit. unit. Yeah, exactly. Even makes a point of saying it's not the second unit; it's the splinter it's unit. Like the, the C director. Yes. Exactly. But he's been with Jackson for yeah. twenty-two years, so you get to film all the scenes that will get cut. Oh, and here's Legolas in Lake Town. More definitively. Wearing wearing robes. Don't mess with this. Spider thread attached to him everywhere he goes. Spider thread, exactly. (laughs) He just can't accept. He can't can't escape it. So here's. I guess. Where do we think that's at? This is Toriel fighting with the orcs, and I think this is the one that we've seen many times before where she ducks over backwards and, and you know, to oh, miss yeah. the orc attacking her from behind. Um, uh, but um, where is this? If this is the same kind of battlement thing that Thranduil was fighting on, I guess, possibly, or that Azog attacks, maybe that's what's happening here. Um, it looks like, looking at this, this is an elvish That looks elvish, thing. yeah. Yep. So now it, there's, and there's also a fire, you know, there's a sconce there with a fire, so it's not yeah. like it's an undefended spot. Right. Yeah, true. In fact, doesn't that suggest that it's an indoor spot? Have they invaded... <laughs> that's um, true, that's true. Have they invaded? Uh, have they invaded the Elven King's the halls? caverns? That's what I'm wondering. Well, that's, that's exactly what I mean. That's what, and that might be what the that scene of Thranduil is. The green screen in the background certainly makes me think. Like, hmm, I wonder. 
Yeah. What what's gonna be what's gonna be overlaid on top of there? Sky or caverns? Um, yeah. That's an interesting question. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, it's interesting that the, these scenes here. The more we get of these, and the more we see of like the just straight up elves and goblins fighting. No dwarves. No Lake Town people. Whatever. The more they're really making explicit the notion that the, that the Elven King is under assault. Yes. You know, previously yeah, it was like, definitely. oh, it's he's being encroached by the corruption of the forest, and now it's like, no, no, he's literally being invaded by orcs. It's it's not right. even just this nebulous, like, boy, the, the forest is getting kind of creepy, and it's, you know, <laughs> the creepiness is getting closer and closer, and then also there's orcs in it right there, so... And now we know what that elf is pointing to. <laughs> and that same elf blows on there's the, too. <laughs> the invading army is right over there. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and here's Torio in Lake Town. God, boy, they really get her in every scene now. They're fighting orcs in Elven King's hall. I saw, They're I fighting saw, orcs on the tower. They're fighting orcs po- in Lake Town. I saw a post on Facebook the other day that said, Desolation of Smog, 35% fewer hobbits and 45% more elves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're battling them everywhere. Well... Here's one thing that I liked about this. Um, that is evidence that Evangeline Lilly has apparently read the book, or at least spoken to someone who has. Listen. Tolkien describes the Sylvan Elves as less wise By and way, more we, dangerous. I don't think we can hear Tauriel it. Is, I can't hear it. Oh, we can't hear it, of course. Darn it. Sorry. In my haste, I forgot to do my to get my speakers. Hang on. Let me, I'll, get, I'll, I'll get speakers. Wait a second. Wait a second. We do want to hear. Um, <laughs> we could talk about the infamous Tinkerbell line, which I have a lot of sympathy for her about. The poor girl is going to catch so much stuff for that remark, but I totally get what she meant. Yes. Yes. Um, In fact, I thought of you, Corey, your comment about Tinkerbell in Tinkerbellism, one of your yeah. lectures. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, and I have, I have made Tinkerbell my, you know, my sort of poster child for you know everything that is inappropriate about uh <laughs> modern treatment of fairies oh yeah that's um, right. but uh but yeah so here's the really important thing for every scene that Tariel is fighting orcs uh that's a scene that she's not not uh engaging in romantic um uh, looks with legolas <laughs> or anyone else and therefore or a scene game. with legolas <laughs> So like, or 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 just delivering lines in general. So you know, by all means, keep her busy. Right, right. Okay, here let's see. Uh... But we know that Keely's going to get left behind. And... Yes. Okay, I am now done with my hardware adjustment. Ready? Excellent. Okay. 
Anyway, as I was saying, evidence that Evangeline Lilly has read a book or spoken to someone who has. Darn it! Freaking thing. Okay. Now, no, no, seriously, now I'm done with my hardware adjustment. Tolkien describes the Sylvan Elves as less wise and more dangerous. Tauriel is a little bit reckless and doesn't quite have the self-control that I think a lot of the other elves do. You like death? Then let me give it to you. Echo. So she doesn't have that kind of floating, ethereal thing. Do you think you would allow your son to pledge himself to a lowly Sylvan Elf? No, you're right, I would not. Still, he cares about you. Do not give him hope where there is none. If he around and... <laughs> anyway. Um... I like that scene. <laughs> 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 it's, it's fascinating. It, it, it's On the one hand, it's certainly evidence that somebody, ha- that she has at least read the Wikipedia entry on um, <laughs> Sylvan Elves. Yes. Um... Uh, and yet, the interpretation of it is unclear. That that you know that that, that, that what Tolkien meant by their you know less wise, more dangerous is they run around with their knife unsheathed half the time, stabbing whatever's in front of them. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, you know, that's of course the whole point. Is what exactly did he mean by that? You know, in what sense were they more dangerous? And certainly, one sense in which um, one sense in which uh, they. Uh, I think the book invites us to interpret more dangerous um, is because it's right in the same context of that remark that the narrator tells us that if they have a fault, it's distrust of strangers. Um, So I I don't find it at all, you know, um, not in keeping with uh, what Tolkien seems to be suggesting there to suggest that they, uh, you know, might be short with strangers or, and, 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 and possibly more, more merciless to their enemy uh, and quicker. To, I mean, the fact that they imprison Thorin and the dwarves, they don't kill them and they treat them well when they're in prison in the sense of like feeding them well and stuff like that. Um, you know, they don't torture them. They don't starve them. Um, they don't kill them out of hand. Um, but more unpredictable, you know. And so, anyway, I I I think that it's um it's it's interesting. You know, just first of all, merely the fact that at 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 least the actors have been coached that Thranduil and Legolas and are different from the rest of the elves of Mirkwood. That's that's not something I was taking for granted. Also, apparently, Sylvan elves can't hold their liquor because, again, in the um, the write-up, uh, it looks like the Bilbo does get the guards drunk, and that's how he steals the keys to let the dwarves out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. And so that... is just determined to give away all the spoilers in the write-up. Well, people are going to go read it themselves. I'm the... not. Oh, or he's not though. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> 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 Anyway, uh, so, but anyway, I, I find that interesting. I, I mean, I find it interesting that uh, she, I, I was, I was, you know, like, I'm not saying that uh, I'm necessarily assuming now that Evangeline Lilly has like read. Is an expert. Is, is an expert. But, but again, she, uh, she not only, you know, she either has read or has been coached well enough that she could not only know the concept, but quote the line. Um, so, you know, hey, props. I, I just give props for that kind of thing. Um, uh, uh, 
Let's see, yeah, we got uh, Thranduil standing around, Lee Pace, yeah, talking about what a jerk Thranduil is. Um, here's, I think, the last money shot of the, tr- of the uh, vlog here. We'll take some catching. <laughs> and so do burglars. Right, with the implication they're clear. Um, <laughs> Martin Short, man, I mean, Martin Freeman managed to get his middle finger up again. That's something <laughs> that shows up in the extended editions thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, um, <clears throat> so we do, um, we do have, uh, um, evidence of what's going to happen with the ring there, that he's going to, that when he's going to use it as an escape mechanism to run away. Um, so that, I think, you know, we always knew that that was going to be a challenge. We always knew that, I mean, we've been saying what, I mean, since like the first month of, of the first year of this, that there's no way they were going to do the conversation with Smaug and Ring Vision. And so, um, you know, so therefore, uh, we, um, we always knew that Bilbo was going to be visible to us. And so I think it's, I think it's a fine way around it, you know, and, and I, I, one of the objections I have to, um, again, this is, it's actually an example, um, of what I was talking about before. You know, I've heard people complaining that, oh, like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, this is just nonsensical for Bilbo to be visible when he's talking to Smaug. Smaug would just eat him. Like, why would that happen? It doesn't make any sense. This is a bad interpretation. I don't agree, or rather, I, I think it's something that we can really, we should suspend judgment about. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily nonsensical at all. I think it, it's, it's an example of people kind of jumping to, to fairly facile conclusions, which I don't think are really warranted, because you don't know anything about how exactly he's going to be characterizing Smaug. It seems to me quite likely to be in the character of Smaug, um, to toy with someone that he finds crawling around uh, on his horde, um, feeling sublimely confident that he's going to be able to catch him and eat him, not anticipating, of course, that he's going to be make, be able to make himself invisible uh, and escape. So I actually think that that's, you know, I, that seems to me to be able to work very well, that even if Smaug does see him, he would have this conversation with him before destroying him. And then Bilbo un, uh, escape unexpectedly to Smaug, and therefore makes Smaug really ticked off. That actually seems to me to work perfectly fine as a storyline. Um, so anyway, I, I, I think it's uh, I think it's interesting. I think it will be uh, uh, interesting to see um, what it uh, exactly how it actually plays out <clears throat> on screen. But okay, uh, let me let me uh, kind of give a preview of our order of events here for the rest of the episode. Um, there are we 30 minutes in 30 minutes in and um, we've not actually started talking about the things that we really plan to talk about. Um, and first of all, let me reassure you, we, we, there's a, th- a new three minute trailer, of course, that we're going to talk about. And you guys know our previous record. So you're probably thinking, OK, well, they're going to take four hours to talk about the three hour, tr- uh, the three minute trailer uh, and then <clears throat> a bunch of other things. So this is probably going to be a six hour episode. Um, I don't think so, because most of the material in that new in that new three minute trailer is old material. Um, some of it is new, but um, not most of it. Um, so I don't think it will take us uh, an hour per minute to discuss the new trailer. That is my projection. Um, but there are a couple other things we want to look at. The first thing that we want to look at is 
um, the posters. We have a couple still images that we want to take a glance at. Um, and then we want to talk about uh, some comments that were made uh, in the big article in Empire Magazine that was just released this past week, um, which I think there's some interesting things things there. And then we're going to look at the trailer. And then we're going to have a bonus riddle this week. We actually do have a riddle uh, that um, is not you know, of course, we don't have an overarching topic for the day today, but we, we are going to have a riddle. So uh, stay tuned for the riddle there at the end. Um, you guys ready to do stills? Take it away. Bring it. I All say right. bring it. Number one. So here is our first. Uh, our first. So this is an older poster from a few weeks back. Um, 5% more elves. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, Not a hobbit in sight. Uh, thing at the bottom. Is that an orc wearing a? This guy? No, I think it's an elf. We I talked about that online. I we think it's an elf. It's part of Thranduil's soldier. The little shadow things there are. It's like a like a. Those like are orcs. A, yeah, it's those like are a taxonomy orcs. of. It's like a, a a silhouette taxonomy of different types of orcs that have appeared in Lord of the Rings film. Right. You know. The last one is uh, Azog on his white wolf. But you know what I love about this? I love the self-parody involved in this. I mean, because this is, it's like an orcish parody of the little silhouette line of the Fellowship. That's right. And also of the dwarves that they did last year on the building in in, uh, in Wellington. Yes. Where they had the, yeah. Yeah, I think think that's really cool. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if we're to understand Dan, the, who's this dude? We think it was Bolg, but you know the—that's my—that's my hope, of course. Yeah, um, and I mean, and you there know, there's been absolutely no talk of him whatsoever. Looking, also, looking back, miscellaneous orc. Yeah, looking back, I, I can't remember when the day was when I suddenly started cheering for Bolg uh, uh, <laughs> with like all of my being. Uh, you know, why, somehow for some reason, and I don't remember when it happened. You know the the return of Bolg to the film has become like one of the things I'm really rooting for, and I don't quite know why. Um, well, I'm getting sadder and sadder about it. In 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 the extended edition extras, they talk about the creation of Azog's character. Yeah, and they talk about kind of all the different things that they envisioned of him, you know, for him. And one of the things they envisioned was Bolg's. You know, they actually had the guy in Bolg's outfit and said, "Oh, well, this was originally Azog, and we changed." And I'm like. Wait a minute! Were you rewriting history? I mean, you're not even mentioning Bolg in that context. So I was really disappointed. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, uh, and but you know, for people who got that Bolg action figure, man, hang on to it. <laughs> Big bucks. Hang right. on to it. Wish I'd have bought it. Um, <laughs> I it. It was right there. I was holding it in my hand at one point. <laughs> I remember I was in Nashville, Tennessee, and I was holding it in my hand. Um, but uh, yeah, so no, it's it's very interesting. Well, well, we'll see if he gets a cameo or something. We'll all cheer. Um, but uh, uh, there's a lot to say about this, you know. I mean, there's it's like kind of like I'm kind of I'm kind of getting over fatigued with all the drawn bows elves thing. Yes, Randall's yeah, nasty especially, face, especially the repeated repeated uh, images of elves drawing bows in ways that seems 
to physically be um, <laughs> impossible to shoot an arrow in any sort of reasonable way. <laughs> like pulling the, drawing the, drawing the, the string and the arrow back into your throat. Your chin, your chin. <laughs> well, maybe Toriel's arms are like five it. feet long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come on, Toriel, you can do better than that. By the way, what is the whose cape is that? Is that supposed to be Thranduil's cape that's kind of enveloping all of them? Yes, I think so because you can see it down here. Oh yeah, thrown over the this. arm. So yeah, I, I think I think that's exactly the idea. Doesn't he look kind of goofy lounging on his throne like that? He does. It, 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 at least he doesn't actually have his leg up over the arm uh, of the throne. It could be worse. Um, this, look, this, this like. This poster looks like a real, like a a a, um, a comical '80s fantasy film poster to me. It does. Like I look at it and I'm like, this looks like like the kind like something I would see on like a you know like a really low budget '80s fantasy like like Zardoz and not, not that Willow was low quality or low budget, but it, but it was rather hokey. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually, you know, there are moments when Lee paces Thranduil reminds me of David Bowie's Goblin King. Totally. You know, totally. Uh, in Labyrinth. So that's yeah. that's what I am always thinking of, but yeah. and not not always, not every single time, but there there are moments when I am reminded. Um but uh oh, here's the second one. And what is uh this blade that's along the right-hand side. Yes, this is a blade. I I assume it's not Orcrist, so I'm assuming maybe I mean, since Thranduil seems to be the motif of this whole poem, or this whole uh, poster, rather, that this is uh, Thranduil's sword or something like. It's not Orcris, but it's certainly Orcristi. Orcristi, yes, it is Orcristi. See, here's the <laughs> here's the real Orcrist here. I don't, I don't see any um, runes or anything on it. It's just all... Yeah, yeah. So anyway... Uh... So this other one, I, now I have to jump in on this and just take the lead here and say the one thing that struck me about this new poster, everybody's got their weapon out except Gandalf, who yeah. is smoking a pipe. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's, his, that's Gandalf's true weapon, his intellect. Yes. Yeah. Uh, is that, a, really is that a dragon coming out of this? Yes. Actually the smoke from his pipe smoke. is a dragon breathing fire into the bowl of his pipe. And the wings stretch out over across Bilbo and Thranduil. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that artistically. Um, and notice, watch, notice this. Look at this. You got the, like, the dragonish whirl oh, of tail. smoke. Uh, you know, the tail, like, wrapping up around Thorin's head. Notice this. Uh, okay. Well, maybe it's not so bad after all. So the thing that strikes me about this is that um, by switching by switching hands uh, to drawing the, their their uh, bowstrings with their left hands instead of their right hands, Legolas and Toriel both improved their form. Yes, yes. And I, we I now know no that they're idea. ambidextrous. Yeah, they're left-handed in one poster, right-handed in the other poster. Bard, of course, unfortunately, cannot draw a bowstring properly. But yeah. he explained that yesterday. You saw that, didn't you? How he's because it's a long bow, and he he turns his hand around so he can get a uh, you know he can go he can stretch his arm back longer. But he's pulling the he's pulling it into himself again, like. <laughs> but he's back. It's his hands backwards. You know, it's like what you would not normally see. Couldn't they? Couldn't they? Couldn't they have hired someone who actually knows something about archery to, to consult? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, I mean, we will see how it actually goes in the film itself. I'm willing to sort of forgive these things because these are just for still shots. You know, so these are just poses, you know, uh, poses to look good. Uh, if, if in the, you know, if when he's drawing the black arrow to shoot at Smaug, um, he's pulling the string back into his body like that, I'll be pretty disappointed, but, uh, they did, they did save money on the artwork. If you notice the Thranduil is exactly the same in both, uh, both posters and Harold pointed that out on the, oh yes, it is exactly the same head. (laughs) Uh, so here we see now. Here's what his invisible hands are actually doing when his hands don't turn into Legolas. Uh, this is in fact what they do. He's holding that wand thing he has. I think he's going to start dancing. I think it's like a beginning of a dance or something. You know, that's what I was thinking. Really does look like that, doesn't it? <laughs> I will now do an interpretive dance of the first age. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, I can see that now. Rivendell uh, has the Hall of Fire. The Elven King has the Hall of Dance. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he just has a fabulous studio with lots of mirrors, and yes. That's right. That's right. And Thorin's holding... Is that Orchrist? That is Orchrist, yeah. Mm. Thorin's holding Orchrist, which is interesting. Uh, I I mean, based on the trailer and based on what we know from the story, I suppose... I mean, he does have it at the beginning, so, uh, you know, presumably... That's actually Legolas's hand. <laughs> <laughs> What, he's bowing before. Well, Legolas reaches around behind him and holds Orchrist up in front of him tauntingly. Yes, I guess that's okay. Could happen. Could happen. Uh, interesting. You know, but that, what's, to, uh, what's in the upper left-hand corner? What structure is that? I think that's a nod towards Dol Guldur because we have this clearly elvish. Uh, well-lit construction back here behind uh, uh, Tarot and, and Legolas, but this, the dark looks, tower, greenish blue light yeah. thing, that's got to be Dol Guldur. It decidedly like, it looks decidedly sort of Kirith Ungol. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very Mordor, it's got very much a Mordor kind of look to it, so yeah, it's probably... You'd think Sauron could do a little bit different with the decoration, but, you know, I guess he's kind of in a, kind of in a yeah. groove there. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> Of, when you're trying to hide your identity, don't build things to look exactly like the other places. <laughs> well, see, that answers the question. How is it that Gandalf figures out that the necromancer is really Sauron? This looks oddly familiar. Right, by, his, by his decorating choices, of course. I recognize this interior motif. It's yeah. Sauron! Yes. But then, remember, no, Gandalf, Gandalf wasn't around when Mordor was... was was you know before Mordor got thrown down? Yeah, uh, he, he read a detailed description of it. Oh, in Minas Tirith. Um, Minas okay. Tirith. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was probably a coffee table book in Rivendell that uh... <laughs> Mordor <laughs> <and> pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that this the, this this poster. I find this poster about ten times more interesting than this poster. Yes, um, I mean, well, there's. Yeah, well, I mean, just with the way that it's, you know, I, I like the way that it's composed. I mean, you've got the you've got the light and darkness, uh, yeah. you know, sort of symmetry of it, um, and the cluster of characters. You know, you've got uh, you know Thranduil facing the opposite direction of Legolas and Toriel, them right under the light, you know, in the right. in sort of the sunlight. Him over here, underneath the looming black tower, which is questionable. The way, as I said, the, that the dragon-like smoke wraps up around uh, 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 Thorin, but also embraces both Thranduil and Bilbo 
uh, in its wings, which I think is also interesting. Um, yeah, I can forgive Gandalf his pike now because of that very cool dragon. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then Bard, of course, balancing these other archers and pointing in the other direction. Um, ironic that he's the one pointing down. But again, that's the same the same thing we've seen of him, which again is interesting. Instead of, you know, when we think of Bard and archery, everyone who's familiar with the book is imagining, of course, the, the famous scene where Bard points up with his bow. And we've never <laughs> seen him pointing up with his bow. We've always seen him pointing down. That is, he's always, yeah. you know, like covering the dwarves or taking them captive. That That is to say, the sort of visual... Uh, uh, theme that we've gotten, the, the repeated visual motif with Bard is of him as antagonist, or at least as as sort of th- potentially threatening figure, um, and not as ally, and not even yet really as 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 dragon slayer. Um, People keep uh, we we keep um, uh, we keep forgetting that this is also how he feeds his family by shooting fish with <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, because it's well known that people who live in fishing cultures, uh, you know, on lakes, tend to be expert bowmen because there's much call for that. Uh, He's an iconoclast. He's like, I don't need no stinking nets. That's right. <laughs> yeah. This, by, the way, uh-huh. by the way, by the way, Andy uh-huh. Higgins has let this us know why he's an outlaw. <laughs> <laughs> Because he, re- he won't wear the hat. He refuses to refuses to stick to the 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 the, the or city ordinances about proper ways about fishnets. That's right. By the way, Andy or real Andy Higgins has let us know that the Mortar Coffee Table book is available at the Rivendell Gift Shop. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, one well, of this is cool, and I, I think you know. And then, of course, we haven't talked about Gandalf here in the middle. You know, this is this is. I assume that uh, you know they're going to be releasing a series of these posters with like different characters as the central. You know, that there will be a Thorin poster and a Bilbo poster, um, and so forth. You know, here we have the Mirkwood Elf poster, and this one appears to be the Gandalf poster. Um, but uh, interesting how he is, while centrally uh, and prominently placed not the most, um, you know, he's the, he's the least active of all of the people who's depicted yeah, it's here. Like he's, um, it's not like he's striking a pose with Glamdring. Exactly, or his staff. I mean, we've seen him in action shots in the trailers sure. already, but we don't get him even holding a weapon, much less actually in, 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 in action. Even Bilbo, who's not in the same kind of action pose as, say, our archers are, um, you know, again, even he is at least holding his weapon. Um, uh, we just got a link uh, to uh, supposedly all of the character posters. No time. We'll do that another on, on another occasion. <laughs> Daniel. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Daniel, but I'm not going to tempt myself. Yeah, I, th- I thought I saw a reference to that set somewhere online in the last day or two, um, but I didn't have time to look. And yeah, we'll, we'll definitely come back to that. I think that those are, those eh, are interesting. Not that interesting. I'm looking at them right now. Okay. Well, I always like looking at them, but it's fine. We'll, 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 that's later if well, we do thing, that. But. The thing about this one is it, it, it is not to give the, 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 the um, marketing people too much credit because I'm sure this is not what they intended. Oh, maybe, but, but it is very appropriately Gandalf because he is the, the, the prime mover of all of these events mm-hmm. and, 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 and as usual, not through his sword or his staff, just by sort of kind of being there and kind of nudging this person that direction and whispering something to this person. 
Yeah, I like it. I mean, I like his, you know, and his look, it's like, you know, it's not like I am calm and wise. It's sort of speculative and uncertain. You know, he has a little bit of that, wait, what is that kind of look on his face? You know, which, which again, seems to be, uh, I mean, what, what, what this looks like to me is, you know, Gandalf, the solver of riddles, the figurer out of things. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's that seems to be his primary role in this film um and uh that's i think that that's a they've kind of captured that pretty well um want to say a few things about the empire magazine stuff um uh we've got some some stuff trish you have uh selected out some nuggets I, yeah i did yeah and i want to thank our man on the street in the uk andy higgins for providing this information because it's not available in the states so he he actually sent me scans of the article <laughs> I, I i read through jpegs to get this um there's some interesting stuff about now boyens philip boyens is quoted in the article i'll read what she says and i must say i don't I want to hear what you have to say about this, Corey, because I'm not sure I agree with what she's saying here. She says, Smaug is the physical manifestation of one of the themes of the book, greed to the point of sickness. There is an obscenity about him. It is dragon sickness. That is the wonderful phrase that Tolkien uses. This creature is driven by this illness, this utter sense of greed and avarice, but it is beyond greedy. It is its own thing, a living, breathing energy that he has. He will not part with a single coin. The dwarves carry a little bit in their hearts, too. The part I don't agree with is I don't think Smaug is sick with the illness. I think he is the embodiment of this greed and avarice. He's not. He doesn't have an illness. Well, yeah. I mean, it's that's tricky because on the one hand, are dragons themselves corrupted? Yes, in a sense. Though it's not like they were ever whole. Um, you know, it's not like Smaug needs healing or something. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure I would have put it that way. Um, because again, it it makes it, you know, he's driven by this illness. Um, again, it makes it sound like, uh, Smaug used to have a happy childhood until, or that if he could be cured of it, he wouldn't. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's the essential nature of dragons to be this. Right. I mean, it's not even Tolkien. I mean, that's kind of, no, that's, yeah, that's that's a very, yeah, very old idea. I mean, that's why we, you know, the, 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 the traditional idea, which is so, uh, which is the same idea as the dragon sickness thing ultimately, or rather comes from the same place the traditional concept even more dramatically depicted in C.S. Lewis's uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader when Eustace becomes mm-hmm. a dragon. That's a, I mean, I, uh, Tolkien and Lewis, Tolkien in The Hobbit and Lewis in, in, in The Dawn Treader are both thinking about the same tradition, um, which did say, as Lewis depicted, um, if you if you become too greedy in your heart, if you are, if, you know, if there is this, a treasure and you are contemplating this treasure greedily, you can become a dragon. That's, that is the, that's how Fafnir, the great Norse dragon became a dragon. He was originally a human being and his dragon shape is merely an expression of his, I say merely, he's literally a dragon. It's not just a symbol. Um, but his transformation is spurred by that exact, you know, mm-hmm. sort of character mm-hmm. thing. He's, you know, Fafnir is, is like the original Eustace. And, um, uh, and similarly, the dragon in Beowulf, you know, there is, there's, there are, you know, it's, it's, it's uncertain about his history. 
Um, and there are even, you know, there are some threads of interpretation which suggest that Beowulf's dragon was a human, you know, who turned into a dragon. So that's that, that, that kind of idea. Um, so yes, in that sense, the dragons themselves are the embodiment. They are the perfect illustration of, they are the, um, you know, sort of largely irreversible, uh, you right. know, sort of conversion to that way of looking at things, um, and that kind of corruption. Um, no, so the yeah, difference in Tolkien yeah. is, I mean, he, the dragons are actually a, a, a distinct species, right? He didn't yes. carry through that tradition of of metamorphosis like that. No, exactly. There's no evidence in Tolkien's works of any actual literal physical metamorphosis in that way. What he does is he 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 sort of just changes that into a purely moral transaction. So we see right. Thorin becoming corrupted by the dragon sickness. We see, right. so, you know, somebody like the reference to the fact that the master of Lake town succumbed to the dragon sickness, you know, being someone who is, uh, who is, you know, who's very prone to such infections. Um, but again, right. the implication there is that the master of Lake town didn't have far to go. He was already very dragonish um, in his outlook before. So, you know, again, he didn't, he didn't really need to be turned. He was practically there already. Um, but yes, uh, you know, in this way, dragons are, so, so, so with Tolkien, there's kind of a, there is a little bit of a middle ground in the sense that they are not symbols. You know, it is not just that the dragon is the, is sort of the figure for this kind of greed, um, which people turn, you know, the, the, transformation, the physical transformation of somebody into a dragon merely makes outward a state which was already inward. He keeps that inward inward state as an inward state and makes dragons into an external thing while still giving them the characteristics that are associated with dragons in this way. Now, I do like, you know, I do like that they're sticking, I mean, they're making this a thing, you know, I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know what else they would do, frankly, but I mean, I do like the fact that this is such a big deal and the fact, you know, like he won't part with a single coin and all that kind of thing. Armitage says it's going to be fast and mobile and bloody terrifying. He can get into people's heads, which is kind of interesting. That's kind of a Glaurung. I mean, Smaug had that ability too, I think, in The Hobbit, but Glaurung for sure, which is kind of interesting. Exactly. Uh, and that's something that I think has been interesting to think about from the beginning. When in The Hobbit, um, Tolkien talks about Smaug, you know, having rather an over an overwhelming personality, and saying things like, you know, this is the danger of dragon talk, and um, describing as he does Bilbo having these impulses to run out and reveal himself. Um, Smaug is clearly does clearly have, you know, mental, uh, you know, sort of mental and spiritual powers that are like. Glaurung had, uh, you know, in, in his ability to influence the minds of others. Um, and that's, of course, as shouldn't be surprising, because Glaurung had already existed in several versions before Smaug came around. Um, so Tolkien, even within, you know, w- within his own writings, already had a good model uh, for that. Um, so we shouldn't be surprised, I think, to find that, even if it, if, even if it receives less uh, overt treatment uh, in The Hobbit, than it does in the Silmarillion or any of the earlier Silmarillion texts. Um, so yeah, that, 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 that doesn't surprise me. And I think I, it seems to me therefore entirely in keeping with how Smaug is depicted in the book uh, for them right. to do a little bit more of that. But it's, but, but again, I wasn't, I wasn't taking for granted um, that that was going to happen. I think that's pretty right. interesting that they're going to do that kind of, uh, um, that kind of thing. And, and, and I wonder, you know, I wonder, how dramatically are they going to tie those two things together? That is, the influence, the direct influence that Smaug has over the minds of people and Thorin's corruption. Because in the book, of course, 
that's not very explicit. Um, we are not. We, Bilbo is affected by Smaug while he's talking to him down there in the room. Thorin's dragon sickness is, in that sense, totally independent of Smaug. There's no evidence that at any point in the book, um, you know, Smaug turns his mind and attention upon Thorin in order to influence him. But I wonder if that's going to happen in the film. Um, so I, I, we do have we do have the, the little teaser in the extended edition now of the Hobbit, which is that Thorin overhears um, Elrond telling Gandalf that he's concerned because Thryon, Thror and Thryon both went insane, and he's worried that Thorin might do the same. So that's kind of seeding Thorin getting a little nutsy later, and I'm wondering yeah. if that is more of it. I wonder if they're going to do that more than the dragon sickness. Although I don't know, you know, given Boyan's remark. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, <clears throat> I agree. I agree. Um, and you know, and then we have the stuff with the. Oh, we should mention the stuff with the Arkenstone. Um, yeah. Well, let me finish this one about okay, yeah. Smaug. Oh, yeah. There's yeah, one yeah. Other, oh, there's two other actually. There's two other points. One is the next characteristic, which is also very dragon-like. She says, um, "Why doesn't he kill this little creature?" I mean, people are going to wonder why doesn't he just kill Bilbo. She says, ultimately, he's vain, and Bilbo has this one little instinctive moment to play to that vanity, which sort of works. And we do see that in the book, too. So that's kind of cool. I mean, he's going to be obviously have that characteristic as well. Yeah. yeah and, and then, then uh, I'll finish this one off and then let you yeah. comment so we can kind of move on to the art or something. Um, Jackson said, we do, want, we do play on the speculation that Tolkien later went into how much Smaug and the Necromancer were in some sort of alliance. Yeah. Uh, I... I... I think that, you know, remember, I'm the one who keeps bringing this up. You guys had kept squat, squelching it. You're like, oh, no, no, no. Let's hope that doesn't happen. And I keep saying, you know, we got to think about this. I've been on board for that all along. Oh, yeah. I know you have, I'm Dave. letting Corey have his moment. I know you have, Dave. But anyway, yeah, no, I, 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 you know, it will be interesting. I will be, I, I, I'm still wondering, as I have been wondering before, if we're going to actually get anything like a messenger or any kind of direct communication or, or at least an acknowledgement. I could see, for instance, Smaug making a reference, even, even perhaps a veiled reference, uh, to Sauron and his, um, you know, arising. Um, but, um. But yeah, I, I I do think I I I will be interested. I'll be interested to see uh, how that works because that's something that I think has always been a very prominent possibility from the beginning. But though Jackson is pretty is pretty uh, elusive in in what he says about it here. Now I'm going to shift over to Thor, which is getting more toward the thing that you wanted to bring up about the Arkenstone, and I'll just read the t- first two notes. First of all, the first note is, with Gandalf branching off in his own secret assignment in Dolgodor, film two finds Thor reasserting his status as mission leader and taking things in his own direction, which Armitage admits isn't necessarily for the best. He says, as the journey goes on, they keep getting themselves in bother. It's as if they are tripping towards the door. And then he goes on to say, what's really exciting is that at the beginning of the second movie, we establish the importance of the Arkenstone and why we need a burglar to get it. I still find the Arkenstone stuff weird. I have found the Arkenstone <laughs> stuff weird from the very first time I saw film one. I still don't understand it. All of the comments that they have made about it have not helped me to understand it any better. Um, they can say how important it is, uh, but they I still don't understand exactly why it is so important, whether it is of merely symbolic importance 
or whether they are actually claiming some kind of magical or, to use the word which was objected to so strongly from the first film, divine, <laughs> um, uh, you know, power to it that gives that. I don't know. I, I, I don't even know. I, I have no idea. Um, one thing I will say, though, I think this is a fascinating solution. I think that what they're doing with the Arkans, in part at least, what they're doing with the Arkans Stone provides an answer to what I consider one of the biggest unanswered questions of the Hobbit book uh, as Tolkien left it. Um, and that is, what the heck do they get a burglar for? What on earth good <laughs> is a burglar going to do them? It's entirely pointless from the beginning. I talked about this in my book. I mean... It's, 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 I mean, and this, you know, frankly, I see as a, as, as a result of the way the Hobbit book unfolded for Tolkien. You know, it started off as this, as a treasure hunt, you know, as a, as a, uh, as a, you know, fairy tale treasure hunt. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to get, we, we wish we could get a warrior or a hero, but they are all taken. So, uh, we fell back on burglar. And the implication, the only implication that I can see that makes any sense there is we want someone to steal the treasure. So if we can't kill the dragon, that's what we'd want a hero for. If we can't kill the dragon, we can't hire somebody to kill the dragon. Therefore, we'll hire somebody to steal the treasure for us. So we can still get the treasure. We won't be able to kill the dragon, but we'll steal the treasure. And that's what we're, at, that's what we're after. Um, but which as, is nonsense. Which is nonsense. Uh, well, at least it, it's in, maybe not nonsense from the point of view of chapter one, that is from the kind of story we seem to be in in chapter right. one. But right. by the time we get up to chapter, you know, 11 and 12, when we're entering the, the, the Lonely Mountain, in fact, then um, it no longer makes sense because the story has grown. The world has grown. Uh, the Lonely Mountain has grown. Uh, Thorin's position has grown. You know, in chapter 10, all of a sudden we're now in the return of the, we're now <clears throat> in a return of the king story. Um, and we get all those prophetic songs about, about, about yeah. Thorin. The only thing that hasn't grown by then is Bilbo's role. His role has shrunk to engage in some petty theft. <laughs> well, right. Well, basically the thing is, is that the book acknowledges the absurdity of it. I mean, Bilbo objects to this. You know, he's like, what did you expect me to, you know, when he steals the cup right. and then, and they're like, Hey, you stole the cup. Hooray. We got, we have part of the treasure back. This is awesome. And the dragon comes and, 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 uh, and they get all scared of course. And then afterwards they're blaming him. And he's like, what did now, you expect you me to do? Cup? Yeah. And he's like, I'm a burglar. This is my, you didn't hire me to kill dragons. You hired me to steal treasure. And then he complains, right? And he's like, look, you should have hired a hundred burglars, not one. You know, it would take me 50 years. Uh, you know, so basically he, he recognizes this really was just not a well thought out plan all along, but there's still a problem. And, and I, you know, I know it seems shocking for me to suggest that there is a hole in the Hobbit book, but there is a <laughs> hole in the Hobbit book. And here's the hole. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's basically Tolkien in the way the story developed, Tolkien kind of painted himself into a corner because he already had the burglar thing. And in chapter one, Gandalf is the one who ratifies the burglar thing. You could chalk it all up to the cluelessness of the dwarves alone and be like, ah, here's just another example of Thorin and company, not knowing what they're doing and being a comic troop. Well, fine. Except Gandalf was the one making all the portentous statements in chapter one. He is the chosen and selected burglar. Um, you know, it's Gandalf's authority on which they take him. Gandalf obviously has ratified 
the completely dumb burglar plan, it seems. Um, and or come up with it, actually. Exactly. Now, now, how Tolkien gets out of this, it's not that Tolkien doesn't escape this corner that he's painted himself into. He does. And he escapes it brilliantly. And the way he escapes it is through the theft of the Arkenstone. Bilbo steals the Arkenstone. In, in, in the end, burglar, he has, he has an important burglar uh, role to play. Uh, burglary does play into it. But in the end, he's not stealing for the dwarves, he's stealing from the dwarves. And it's the theft of the Arkenstone and his attempt to establish peace, the way that Bilbo steps out against that culture of dragon sickness, which is threatening to consume both sides of the conflict uh, in the Siege of the Lonely Mountain. That's That's sort of Bilbo's moment, and that's the climax of the burglary, of the whole burglar theme of the book. And so, you know, what Tolkien does with it is brilliant. I think that's fascinating. But in my mind, there's no question that he's getting himself out of, by, by, the, by doing that, he's getting himself out of the corner that he painted himself into. Um, well, it is kind of an after, I mean, it's like the Arkansas doesn't even come into play until he, Bilbo's actually in the, in the mountain, right? Right. And, and when it, it is, does right. come I mean, into play... definitely smells of like, I need to come up with some way to get out of this. Yes, right. Absolutely. And, and when it does come into play, it initially has an entirely different concept. I mean, the first references to the Arkenstone in the drafts of The Hobbit are as a reward, a portable reward. Right. Like Bilbo obviously can't take a 13th of the treasure all the way back, uh, you know, to the to, to, to back end. Um, so they give him a portable version. Hey, we there's this really uh, valuable gem we can give you, um, and that can be your thirteenth share. And Bilbo's like, oh, okay. So he's gonna like they intend the Arkenstone, um, which isn't initially called that. It's called the Gem of Girion. Um, uh, they intend the Gem of Girion to be his 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 reward, his 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 prize um, for being successful. So anyway, so the point is, even when the Arkenstone does come in, which is late. It's 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 obvious that he does not have the concept uh, that he later had because the whole role of the Arkenstone uh, turns around 180 degrees from the thing they planned to give to Bilbo to the only thing they would deny Bilbo uh, in the in in the whole horde. I mean, it's like an absolute um, uh, uh, 180 degree turn in the role that the Arkenstone plays. So again, basically, this is to say. We see what Tolkien eventually gets to with the burglar theme, but it seems relatively clear that it starts off as kind of a comical thing, and back when the story was much simpler, and even in a different kind of genre, back in chapter one, when chapter one was started. So in the film, so what does Peter Jackson do? Now we see what Tolkien does later on in The Quest of Erebor. What he's doing um, is that, you know, the quest of Erebor being told from, from Gandalf's point of view, we get basically an apology for Gandalf. You know, Gandalf wasn't just being clueless. Gandalf wasn't just overlooking this. He was thinking about stealth, you know, so you get Gandalf not thinking about burglary at all. In fact, using the word burglar unwillingly. Um, in the quest of Erebor, he's talking about stealth. You need stealth. You need something. You, you need professional stealth, and that's what leads the dwarves. And it's in a hundred percent the dwarves' idea uh, to think of burglars and burglary. And Gandalf kind of goes along with them. That's how Tolkien handles um, Gandalf's uh, what looks in retrospect like Gandalf's cluelessness in Chapter One. Um, that's how. That's how you know we get sort of the Gandalf revisionist version of what was really going on in his mind there in chapter one of The Hobbit. So, the, this is a long wind-up, but the fact that in Peter Jackson's film, apparently, 
they are, they have in fact a plan. There's a reason they hired a burglar, and it has nothing to do necessarily with the secret door or any of that stuff. It has to do with the... They actually need a burglar. They need something stolen, apparently. They need somebody to sneak in and steal something and make off with it, which is, in fact, what a burglar does. Um, and that's really interesting to me. I mean, is, is, it, is it a major deviation from the books? Yeah, it is a major deviation from the books. But what I would, what I would say, this is only speculation, can't know 100% for sure, but my speculation would be, if when Tolkien was sitting down to write The Quest of Erebor, if the Hobbit weren't written, you know, had he not already been, uh, you know, committed to the story he already wrote back in the early 30s, would he have done it differently? Yeah, I think, no, I'm not saying he would have done it this way, but I think he would have done it differently. I don't think he would have had chapter one work out the way that it did and Bilbo join on the same principles uh, that he did. Um, so what, what, so what you can see, I think, uh, you know, Jackson and, and, and Boyens and Walsh doing uh, in their planning here is making the burglar thing make sense while keeping the burglar thing. You know, they're, 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 one option would be to just downplay the burglary. Remember, that's what Tolkien did in The Quest of Erebor. He tried to downplay, to downplay the significance of Bilbo as burglar. Peter Jackson said, no, I'm not going to downplay the burglary. Instead, I'm just going to contrive a way in which the burglary becomes a central thing. And how does he do it? The same way that Tolkien does eventually, by making the Arkenstone the centerpiece. The, the, the Arkenstone be the thing that Bilbo can say, now I am a burglar indeed, when he picks it up. Under totally different contexts, apparently, and for very different reasons. Again, I'm not trying to say that it's exactly the way that Tolkien conceived of it. Totally different the way that he's conceiving of the Arkenstone. But again, what I think we can see here, and this is what I've seen in the Hobbit films all along, is a real commitment, much more of a commitment, to actually keeping the elements, fitting them into a different framework, um, but 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 really preserving these elements in ways that I would didn't necessarily expect them to be. I think um, I think two things about this, but I think you know, my thinking is Jackson is actually silmarizing the Ark and Stone, and I think uh -huh. he's doing it on purpose. It's almost like he's saying. Well, we can't really make a movie for the Silmarillion, <laughs> but for those of you that are fans of the Silmarillion, I'm going to give you this element. Yeah. Because Thranduil, I, I get the sense that Thranduil is going to go all Fingal on us with regard to the Arkenstone, and I think the Arkenstone is going to be one of the driving forces that causes me to lay siege to the back, to the mountain. Well, um, just yeah. I may be really extrapolating here, but well, but again, how appropriate is that? I mean, we see Thranduil having that very kind of attitude uh, in the Hobbit right. book, um, and of right. course, uh, you know, I mean, he is the analog to Thingol. So, right. so yeah, you know. Um, I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to it. You know, it's like probably the closest we're going to get to see the Silmarillion. <laughs> 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 really on screen. Yeah. If you the squint, thing, then it looks like Thingol and the Silmarillion. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, the, th the thing I'm disappointed in Jackson about, though, is why didn't you even at least say a little something about the Arkenstone during movie one? I mean, we got it in the beginning and Thord, you know, looks upon the Arkenstone as his divine right to rule, and we get it in Neil Finn's song at the end. But at no point during movie one is there even like a, a throwaway line about the Arkenstone, like between Balin and Thor. You know, we don't have any hint of it, and I'm a little disappointed in Jackson for that, that now in movie two suddenly it becomes this really central thing. But anyway, that's just me being critical of his story progression. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know... Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, he didn't think of it until, until maybe, maybe, like, maybe. Him, he didn't think of it until later. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. I mean, goodness knows that stuff in the prologue could have been added later. Um, That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, no. let me move on because I know we want to do the, the, the trailer, the, yeah. The trailer, but I do have, I, I'm going to uh, just go to two other notes from the Empire, um, the Empire, I will say with Empire Strikes Back article. Um, <laughs> two, two things. First of all, I'm going to go with the, um, I'm trying to pick which one to do first. I just have to go back to, now we're back into the 70s. Okay, you ready for this? The fetid air of Mirkwood is alive with mushroom spores, sending the party into a delirium. The labyrinth of tormented trees came painted in outlandish hues that will twist and warp. <laughs> Armitage says that they spend all their time in Mirkwood like they're stoned. That's fascinating. Okay. <laughs> Could probably do without that. So I'm like, gosh, you know, you're talking about movie posters from the 80s. Now we're in movies from the 70s. You know, like Yellow Submarine, or you know, I guess The Hobbit. But the Hobbit didn't have that bit of it. The Rankin Bass Hobbit. Yeah, no, it didn't. But you know, it sounds like. I wonder if that's simply going to be the replacement to the Black River, basically. Uh, remember yeah. the scene, you know, remember our shock, Dave, when we saw them carrying Bomber, you know, we were like, well, obviously they're not going to, they're going to cut the Black River. And, uh, uh, and then we saw them carrying Bomber and we're like, what? They're actually, you know, maybe, maybe oh, he's going to somehow yeah. OD on, you know, the mushroom thing. Maybe he, especially Bomber, cause he probably eats the mushrooms. Right. Or exactly. That's true. Um, yeah. Interesting. Okay, but, but no, I mean, the reason Ed is chiding me for finding it interesting, he say he Ed thinks it's revolting and not fascinating. <laughs> the reason I say that, Ed, is that again, Merkwood has in the book there there is that that you've got the river, the river which creates dreams, not hallucination, not waking hallucinations, uh, but dreams. Um, you know that they would make it drug trippy. I, I I'm not a big fan of that, but at the same time, the idea that Merkwood would have some kind of sort of warping mental effect on people seems, I mean, I mean, I'm going to withhold judgment there because I can see that working in one of a couple different ways and similar to what we can see happening. We talked a little bit about this. We, We speculated that, um, that even that if they did the river, they were going to they were going to all the, the cause of its um, hallucinatory effects on Bomber were going to be more that we, we suspected that they yes. would change it the, the, it to be caused by the corruption, the corruption. And the evil, not by just general sort of fairy enchantment. Exactly, that's what it sounds like here. Yeah, it sounds like that's what they're doing. So this would just be kind of pushing it even further in that in yeah. the direction we expected they were heading in. Right. So instead of having just the one river, like the, the you know the the forest is dangerous and dark and and scary, but mostly non magical. Except there's this magic river that you have to be very careful not to drink from. <clears throat> instead of having that, it's more generally dispersed. Um, and you know, it's, that's why I or, find it interesting. Or it could be taking the fairy element out of it entirely. Because remember in um, in Radagast in the scenes of Radagast and Mirkwood, those mushrooms you know we saw those mushrooms all over the place and yes. it, it was kind of tied to the you know the encroaching evil so that it could be you know 
they could be going totally towards Sauron with all this stuff in Morkwood and no longer any of the fairy elements. Yeah, and the, and the, and of course all the the death of the little woodland creatures, you know, so we right. can see the right. uh, the <laughs> the deadliness of it. That's right. Um, well, I'm going to move on to the last one because I know yeah. we're anxious to get on through the trailer here. So, but this is one that also I think we're going to want to talk a little about. The dwarves break into two halves after Lake Town. This is after Lake Town, so it's interesting. I don't know that uh, Killy gets injured, so has to remain behind. So I'm not sure about this after Lake Town thing. It almost sounds like they're not, they're no none of them are any longer in Lake Town. So I'm not sure about that. But that's what it says in the article. The dwarves break into two halves after Lake Town. Killy gets injured, so has to remain behind. I mean that when I first read that, I'm like, can God, talking can you about? Can we be talking about? Um, when they're on the side of the mountain, maybe some of them remain behind on the side of the mountain. Some of them uh, are a part of the expedition party that's kind of sneaking Bilbo in through the front gate. Could be. <laughs> maybe. Could be. I mean, I, it's that, hard. That sounds better to me because I know there is that one scene in the book where they go try to get the ponies, isn't it? Or, or yeah. Yeah. We've already seen. We've had the scene of some of them on the um, on let's call it Ballin's balcony. Yes. Where they're, where they're like, just like fifty years later, they're standing there hiding from dragon flame, and just like, oh god, you right. know, like just back here again. <laughs> right. So maybe only some of them are there, and then the other ones are up, sort of up on the the side of the mountain with the ponies and stuff. Maybe. maybe. Yeah, I mean that. I get that would make sense, and that kind of splitting of the party is at least suggested in the books. My biggest problem is not, I mean, okay, yeah, I don't see any good reason to split the party, but what on earth are they going to do? I mean, what seriously, we're going to leave Keeley and then behind in Lake Town for some reason? I mean, what would they do? How do they get reunited with everybody else? Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm I just trying to imagine what kind of storyline that could lead to. I, and I, and I, I'm, I am completely blank on that. <laughs> Maybe what we're really heading toward is is that they're not even going to make it to the Battle of Five Armies. It's just going to get injured along the way, and they're no. going to be like, well, leave him. That's right. <laughs> and he dies of his wounds. Yeah. yeah. On the side of the road. Yeah. We're going to have to take Keely out back and shoot him, I'm afraid. <laughs> it's the farrier's pistol for, for poor Keely. Put him out of his misery. <laughs> We'll have a touching moment with Thiele. We'll give him a nice last meal. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I mean, where does Kiwi get injured? He looks fine in his barrel. Um, maybe in the end of the barrel sequence, he gets injured. Um, but... I, I agree. You know, I had the same thought as Ed. You know, maybe there's some kind of te- magical telecommunication where it ends up Keely being the one getting some a transmission from Erebor that tells Bart about the dragon or where to shoot the dragon. <laughs> right. Well, if he does get injured during the uh, barrel ride, you know, all I can say is, told you so. We told you to wear helmets. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. There's obviously improper safety precautions being taken. And, and I think that actually would be a good uh, moral lesson, you know, for people. Like, uh, you shouldn't try this at home and see this is why you shouldn't try this at home. Because, right. see, look, even That's in the right. movie, people get grievously and injured. Keely, don't bitch. I mean, Bomber's the one that should be complaining. He's the one that got trebucheted, for God's sake. Oh, yeah. Yes, well, exactly. True. Exactly. Uh, okay, right. well, anyway, so those are, those are really the high points of the article. So yeah. that's... Okay, well, let's look at the so trailer. Pretty disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 we're really, truth be told, not disappointing. At this point, I'd rather just leave it alone. I want to watch the movie. 
<laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I also am rapidly approaching that point. Well, here's our trailer. Um, yeah, let's just go through it. Seen that before, seen yeah. that before. Seen that before. Yeah. Lord of Silver Fountain. The King of Carven Stone. The King Beneath the Mountain. Shall come into his own. And the bell shall ring in gladness at the mountain king's return. But all shall fail in sadness, and the lake will shine and burn. You have no right. No right to enter that mountain. I have the only right. What is this place? The desolation of Smaug. Destroy the dragon. Take back Northumland. The dwarf never be king. Our time has come again. It is not our fight. Are we not part of this world? You seek that which would bestow upon you the right to rule. The Arkenstone. What's that? That Master Burla is why you are here. that one little scene there in the middle where Balin reminds us the name of the movie. Right. <laughs> or White's named that. Yeah. Right. Why, why is it called this? Oh, thank you, Balin. <laughs> I am Sherlock under the mountain. <laughs> um, so, uh, so the, the very first thing that jumps out to me, I, I'm diving in, so I get to go first. Yeah. Um, the very first thing that jumps out at me is I I I believe that the um, Lake Town reception situation has been clarified. Yes. What it looks like to me is uh, Bard stumbles across these dwarves, not knowing who they are, and expects a hostile welcome and smuggles them into Lake Town. 
upon which time it is revealed uh, who Thorin is. Hence, Bard's recite, reciting of what is apparently the, the prophecy. And then we get a reversal where now the dwarves are being welcomed by the Lake right. Town. And Bard is like, uh, no, 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 this is bad, guys, bad. That's that, my that's my take. Yeah. That was my favorite, favorite part of this trailer. The fact that we're getting some of the poetry. Some of the poetry radically changed. Subtly, but radically changed. Um, let me just remind us of the song in the book. Uh, so this is in chapter 10, A Warm Welcome. We've got the song. It's, it is it is given to us as an example of the you know one of the exuberant songs that the people of Lake Town sing about the king beneath the mountain. Um, and uh, the, uh, the king beneath the mountains, the king of carven stone, the lord of silver fountains, shall come into his own. His crown shall be upholden. His harp shall be restrung. His halls shall echo golden to songs of yore resung. So notice we have all of this is pointing to the future. Um, it's, uh, you know, this is all very cheerful predictions about what is going to happen when the ancient line of the kings from the past is restored in the mountain and all of the wonderful things that are going to happen as a consequence. And wait, it's not just about him giving us money. The whole region shall be, in some sense, magically affected. The woods shall wave on mountains and grass beneath the sun. His wealth shall flow in fountains and the rivers golden run. The streams shall run in gladness. The lakes shall shine and burn. All sorrow, fail, and sadness at the mountain king's return. <clears throat> I'll do that last one again, because it's the important one. The streams shall run in gladness. The lakes shall shine and burn. All sorrow, fail, and sadness at the mountain king's return. Remember, so the final note of this song is that all sorrow and sadness shall fail when the mountain king comes back. So at the return of the mountain king, all sadness and sorrow will be gone forever. Um, but of course, in the middle of that stanza, we get that one ironic, ominous note. The lakes shall shine and burn, which of course is going to be fulfilled uh, as a prophecy, but of course it's not going to pan out quite in the way that people expect. So the ironic um, foreshadowing of that line, the lake shall shine and burn, completely outside the perception of the people singing it, to whom it is merely another one of those instances, like the streams running in gladness and the and the you know the grass beneath the sun, everything's gonna be bright and beautiful and you know, nature itself will be rejoicing in happiness when the mountain king comes back. That's all they're singing about. But we do get that one glimpse forward at the ominous thing that's about to happen. So Bard recites a version of this. There are two things that I would point out. I want to go back and listen to it again, having just uh, sort of refreshed our memories about the song in the book. I want to go back and, and, and look at it again. One thing is that he is, he appears to be reading this, and from the expression on his face, we'll look at it more closely, it sounds like he's discovered this. Like, he's found this prophecy which other people have forgotten about, that he's, like, unearthing it or something. At least that's the impression that I get uh, from this. And that's why he becomes the grim-voiced, which is appropriate, prophet of doom, uh, telling everybody what is going to happen. Um, so let's move forward a little bit here. Here is where the voiceover starts. The Lord of Silver Fountains. 
the king of carven stone. The king beneath the mountain shall come into his own. Makes it sound like a bad thing. And the bell shall ring in gladness at the mountain king's return. But all shall fail in sadness, and the lake will shine and burn. You have no... All shall fail in sadness. This becomes a prophecy of doom. That when the mountain king returns, everything's going to go south. Everything's going to be destroyed. It's going to be awful. That is fascinating. Fascinating. Do you think it's possible? Um, do you think it's? Do you think it's? Do you think it's possible that maybe what he's doing is riffing on or reinterpreting the prophet? Maybe the people are all reciting the prophecy, but Bard, being the downer that he is, is is making up his own version of it. Maybe. My question is this scene right here. He looks to me like he's reading it. Maybe he's just reciting it intensely to somebody who's sitting down. Or something. Yeah. And that's why his light... staring at his own hand. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I like to rehearse prophecies while staring at my hand in a room full of hanging things. Um, maybe. But th- it, it's, it's this shot right here, this visual shot, that... Yeah, it looks like he's reading. It looks like he's reading. And he's in this cluttered room, right? So this is... And that's the, I think that's what suggested to me discovery. Like, you know, here in this, like, you know, whatever it is, this this storehouse, this attic, this lumber room, he's come across this thing and is looking at it and saying, and his face is clearly disturbed. He doesn't, it, it, it doesn't look like the face of somebody who's saying, well, let's recall this prophecy that we all are familiar with. He might just be suffering from heartburn. It's possible. You can't rule that out, I suppose. Do you, do you think he, what he dug up, he dug up like an old, uh, an old book that his granny recited to him while he clutched his dolly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, do you think maybe it's he just bothered to read the entire prophecy that these people are all reciting like the first four lines that sound good and he just kind of... And then in this scene, are these people celebrating or demanding that someone be burned at the stake? I'm going to go with celebrating, though... Yeah, I guess they're hoisting... Yeah, they look like they're singing. Who is this? Is this Bilbo? Bilbo? Has he got bare feet? Looks like it. Yeah, it looks like... Who's standing next to him? The Master? I mean, this is the person addressing the audience. He's got long... Thranduil. It kind of looks like Thranduil. Um, (laughs) I mean, I, I... yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I still don't have... I mean, we've we've still only seen the Master of Lake Town so few times I don't have a real sense of what he looks like without his hat, which he's not wearing. Um, but anyway, assuming this is... See, and again, you've got you've got it played on... So listen, here's, here's, here's the second verse of that, in, the incredibly ominous verse of the prophecy. Shall come into his own. And the bell shall ring in gladness at the mountain king's return. But all shall fail in sadness, and the lake will shine and burn. And the lake will shine and burn. Um, but, there's a but in the middle of that second verse. The bells will ring in gladness, we're getting, while we get this. The bells will ring in gladness. 
at the Mountain King's return, but all will fail in sadness while we see Bard hugging his beautiful daughters. And Trish, wasn't there something in the Empire magazine about uh, Bard being a, a, a single parent? Yeah, he's a single father. Yeah, so we got and him. I know he's got two daughters and a son, at least. So. Yeah, the single father of these two kids. Um, and he also wife. is kind of a Robin Hood character living in a controlled state. So he's got a very, it said in the article that he's got a strained relationship with the man. The, they call him the mayor of Lake Town. Yeah. Um, yeah, Joshua Bowden just brings up a thing, and I was wondering too. That th- is this dude the knife wielding stooge of the master, possibly? Yes. The black hood yes. look makes it look like it. It's about to stab Bilbo. <laughs> Wherever he is. Yeah. Uh, Kim. Uh, you know, Helen claims it's almost certainly the master, having just looked at the HD trailer. Okay. Uh, I'm not buying it. Not buying it. That this is the master? He looks kind of short for... He looks kind of short for... But who else could it be up there with his hands up addressing the crowd? I think it's his his servant person. No, I think this is... uh, No, I I mean the Bilbo guy is the stooge. Oh, oh, no. I think that's Bilbo. I don't know. Well, maybe you're right. With the black cloak Uh, and the hood? Yeah, I don't know. But anyway... um, uh, Yeah. Anyhow... um, I don't know if it really matters that much. No. Interesting, though. Anyway, okay, so uh, so we've got so again the prophecy. We've got the bells shall ring in gladness. So they're indulging at least a little bit in some of the same kind of uh, unknowing irony. You know, the bells will ring. Of course, the bells are also going to ring an alarm, which is recalling the bells of Dale, which were described as ringing when the dragon was attacking. Um, and uh, so you know, we will get presumably the bells ringing again. Um, here in Lake Town, uh, when the dragon is attacking, so the bells that were rung in gladness are going to ring an alarm. Um, so we have our we have our our sort of ironic touch there. But then we just end with the the line which was which was which contained dramatic irony in the book. The lake shall shine and burn, made into a, a, a simply a threat. The lake shall shine and burn. Um, you know, and that's really fascinating so um i just i I, i'm i'm really interested in that and and it makes me want and again but see even here where we have this you know them taking the song and shifting it around um notice the things that you know as they're making changes what seem to be very significant changes notice the things notice the elements that they're keeping they're keeping the element of prophetic songs um, that wasn't a given to me that they yeah, would be too. keeping the element That's, of prophetic songs. Yeah, I'm just glad they have that. Yeah. I think it's cool that they put that in because I we never had a sense up until now in any of the things that we've seen that that was going to be included. They're also keeping the very significant book element of Bard as grim voiced prophet of doom. Remember, he's the one who <laughs> prophesized poisoned <laughs> fish right. and uh, and uh, you know and things like that. Um, so, starting an earlier right, story. Right. Which, of course, Tolkien would have done, too, had he thought of... Yeah. I mean, Bard didn't exist when he wrote Chapter 10. That's right. I mean, it, you know, <laughs> he, he thought of Bard while writing the Dragon Attack chapter. Um, so, anyway. Um, I, he... So, so yeah. So, Bard... Um, and, so you know, what they're doing, basically, it seems, is giving a mechanism to this. Instead of having Bard being, like, 
I'm just a guy who like sometimes gets an, an itchy feeling that we're going to have some poison fish or something. Um, other than somebody who's just like a pessimist who's got to be right sometimes, they're giving him a, a, a you know he has you know if you if he's discovered the prophecy or if he's the only one who remembers it or the only one who is thinking to apply it or whatever. Um, nevertheless, he seems to be the one who is saying, "Look, people, we've got good reason to think." You know, I'm going to make a confident prediction that disaster is going to come if the Mountain King returns uh, to the mountain. Again, I, you know, there's so much in there that has changed from the book, but um, it is, uh, but it's there. You know, Robert Brown puts it really well. He says, subtext has become text. And yeah, that's one of the things that I think you see. Um, it's one of the things that almost has to happen when you're doing a film adaptation of a book. You can't do the same kinds of things with subtext that you can. Um, it's not that you can never do any subtext in a film, but um, but but you know many of the things which can be um, you know implied or manipulated through the narrator character and and things like that are things that you just can't do in a film. Anyway, um, I think that it's interesting to see those things. So again, it's another example to me of a moment when they're making some major changes from the book, and yet. In doing those changes, they're preserving several elements which are re- are really important to the books. So even as they're making a change, they're making a change in a sense within some of the framework of what the book is doing. And, and again, that's exactly what to me I did not see them doing in the Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, I think about I think about the uh, you know to give a counterexample since I was just doing um, you know I've just been thinking about the Battle of Pelennor Fields for the. Return of the King class that I'm doing, um, the bringing of the army of the dead to the Battle of Pelennor Fields. That's a change, a radical change from the book, but I don't think that that is one that does this same kind of thing. I don't see anything being preserved there exactly. The one thing that you could say is being preserved is the eucatastrophic uh, arrival of Aragorn uh, to the field of battle. Um, but even that, I, I feel, is, 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 is more undermined than emphasized um, by the use of the armies of the dead at the battlefield. Uh, anyway, it's, it, it's, it's not clear. In the same way that, you know, Bard, the grim-voiced prophet of doom, is being preserved here, and the way that prophetic songs are being preserved. I don't see any similar elements being preserved in, you know, in that particular change to the Battle of Pelennor Field. My point is, I this is where I think we can see an appreciably different approach to the books in the Hobbit films than was taken in the Lord of the Rings films, and that's why, uh, no matter what the changes are, I respect more the adaptation work that Jackson is doing with the Hobbit films than with the Lord of the Rings films. Um, one thing I just want to point out before you move on from this is, boy, those onion hats sure do stand out in a crowd, don't they? Boy, they do. They do. <laughs> but in the best possible way, I'm telling you. Um, yeah, and I, I think next year for Halloween, I want to be a Lake Town guard. I totally... <laughs> totally want one of those hats you and your sons that would be cool yeah yeah we can all be lake town guys. Or your sons could be dwarves and you could be a lake town <laughs> i Look love at that it's a, it's a, you figure that's a tapestry and those are bard's hands aren't they or do we know for sure yeah they probably are yeah the furry They're cuffs suggested yeah 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 no it's 
so and this actually see 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 Dave I'm right he is discovering something right he's going and he's uncovering look here's a you know like old records and relics from Dale of the older time and here's the you know the family tree this must be him discovering hey those random dwarves I picked up you know this guy is Thorin he's the king under the mountain wait wasn't there a prophecy or something let me look that up um uh-oh let me, look this up on, let me look that up on that tapestry. That, uh... Yeah, let me, let me consult the tapestry. Um, yeah. Yeah, this stuff, this is the only, this right here is the only scene of these ones at the beginning. We've seen this stuff before. Bard right. steering the boat, Bard drawing his bow with the see-through arrowhead. Uh, right. um, we haven't seen this scene of them in the webs, but it's not anything totally new. Similar scenes. Bilbo finding the ring and being apparently very relieved that he found it. Um, that now we get the sequence. Um, though again, I love the way that in this trailer, this trailer I think was not as well put together as the previous one, but it would have been hard to top that one. I think, um, in this one, we get the Lord of silver fountains said in the background while we get a shot of Thranduil's throne, which I quite like both with the references in the book to Thranduil's uh, fondness uh, for silver and white gems, um, but, right. uh, but also the way, that, um, the way that it is kind of inviting us to juxtapose Thranduil and King Under the Mountain. Um, you know, because of course he is also a king who's under, well, not a mountain, but a forest. But anyway, so we've got, you know, we, the way that we get the visual juxtaposition here of, you know, while that prophecy is going on in the background, we get Thranduil, Thorin looking kingly, returning to the mountain, Thorin's position on the tapestry, and then Smaug. So we've got Thranduil, Thorin, Smaug um, in, you know, in rapid succession as they're reading, as he's reading the much more uh, cheerful first stanza of the prophecy that talks about the, just the return uh, of, of the mountain king. So that I think is, that I think is, is interesting and, and pretty well done. Um, Okay, we're returning to the mountain again. We've seen this before. We've got, you know, we've talked about Bard's prophecies. This, backwards? Yeah, and I'm going forwards again now. I went back and now I'm going forward. So <laughs> here, are the, here, are the, here are the dwarves going under guard, right? They're being marched in under guard. This is presumably Bard in the front, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, then we get Bard and his daughters. Let's hope his daughters survive. Gandalf. Oh, now this is one that got me. Yes. Gandalf has got a big old head injury. Yeah, so it's this like a fraction of a second, but it's like And it looks like he's behind bars there, or at least he's on the other side of bars. Um and he's got a big bloody injury on his head. Yeah. And and, just weird lighting. and the context I mean listen to the words that they're juxtaposing this image of him with. But all shall fail in sadness and all shall fail in sadness, Gandalf's face. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, connecting, again, inviting us to connect the concept of sadness uh, and failure with Gandalf. I don't know whether that's to suggest that, you know, Gandalf is, you know, who doesn't look real happy in this particular moment. Um, you know, sort of Gandalf's own sadness or Gandalf's own prophecies of of doom or Gandalf's own fears about everything failing when he discovers, Oh my goodness, this is really Sauron. We're actually in really huge trouble here. I don't know. I think that's a really interesting little glimpse. Then of course we get the ominous foreshadowing of the lake shining and burning. 
Oh, that's all they meant. It would just be a nice sunset. Juxtaposed with the flaming eye. Not with Smaug, but with the flaming eye. Um, Now, of course, that's probably just a a play on burning. Um, But again, notice how even in the trailer here, we're being invited to juxtapose Smaug and Sauron with the burning. Uh, You know, it's the explicit reference. You know, while the song is explicitly referring to the burning by Sauron, or by Smaug, rather, we get an image, a visual image of Sauron. So that's kind of interesting. Um, okay, now we have the his reaction, you shouldn't go in, you don't have any right, yes I do. Um, the desolation of Smaug, right? Here we are, Balin explaining. So we get the same scene, but more of it. This is... Do we have half the party here, or the whole party? Well, we can only see half of them. Yeah. Let's see. Who do we do? We see Balin in here. Balin's well, Balin's here. Yeah, because he's right there. Well, he's Dwalin. here, but he wasn't in that other shot. So yeah, Balin and Dwalin. And, and why would they have taken Bif- Biffer with them? You think they'd leave if they're going to leave somebody behind? <laughs> it would be Biffer. <laughs> right. I, I think we're just getting partial shots of the company. Like, yeah. There's Dory. I see Dory in that shot. Yeah, the Dory series. here and Nori here. And I see, and I think that is at the far end. That might be Bofer. Over here. Yeah. 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 Cause we're, cause yeah. The, the, the two group, the two shots don't perfectly overlap. No, no they, they don't. don't. So I, I don't okay. think we shouldn't read too much into it. Desolation of the dragon, and then he's going into the horde. We've got the key, right? Coming up on the main entrance, or notice we have some more dwarves here. We have Ori next to Dory. Yeah, I think I think that's Nori there too. Who's this? Who's this one? I'm thinking that's probably uh, Glowin, isn't it? The only people we seem to be missing are Feely and Keely. Feely and Keely. Keely. And uh, I don't see Bifer. Bofer. Yeah, Bifer is one with the axe in his head. Bofer. Okay, right. Um, Yeah, Bofer. Bofer and Feely and Keely. Bifur because of bifurcated. Right. He <laughs> so bifurcated his head. I, I am yes. I am tremendously confused about the sequence events about the, the mountain. We don't have to get into it. But yeah. Just, uh, how do we go back and forth between the front door thing where they're being yeah. having flames thrown at them to sneaking in? Hey, actually, you know what? Here's, here's my guess. I'm going to speculate. I think they are going to go directly to the secret door. I think they're going to sneak in through that. I think what's going to happen is the dwarves are going to go deeper into the mountain than they do in the book. Bilbo is going to wake up the dragon, and then they're going to run, escape out the front door. Otherwise, it just makes no sense that they would try to go in through the front, provoke the dragon, and then sneak up to the front to the secret door. And all this time, Smaug is doing what? So, right. right. I suspect entrance through the secret door, and then the dwarves fan out through the, the mountain. Bilbo encounters Smaug, wakes him up, um, pisses him off, and then everybody has to run, and they run out to the uh, Balin's balcony. To Balin's balcony, yeah. 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 And then eventually Smaug uh, uh, exits the mountain and flies away, and then they, and then they go back in. I can see so, this. You know, one thing that I one thing that I would not expect is for them to do like in the book and send Bilbo down alone while they just hang out. I can't see Thorin. I can't see movie Thorin being like, "Okay, 
doors open to my kingdom. Uh, I'm just going to sit here. You go in. I, I, that I don't think is very likely at all. No, yeah, no, there's no hope. So, yeah, no, maybe, maybe. I just, otherwise, I, I, I'm trying to go in through the front door. It makes no sense. I don't know why they would do that. Okay. And I certainly don't know how they would have time to wander up to the secret door while Smaug is apparently awake and attacking. Right, right. Um, do you have any explanation of this? The dwarf never be king. Um, who's he? Well, why is he so confident about this? Um, well, here's the thing, Corey. How much do you want to know? Because <laughs> I can give you an explanation of this from the from the the, the spoilers attached to the twenty minutes of footage. No, I don't want to know that. Yeah, all right, then we shouldn't answer it. Okay, so don't answer me. Let me see. I, I will tell you, it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, but, but it's probably it'll be more interesting to discover through the film. I think. Okay, let's see. Uh, but, I'm but staring into the creepy say, eyes of this orc. Yeah, need those. I I will give you this. These tid- tidbits. They they capture this orc. He seems to be. He seems to be. Um, as seems as seems to be the pattern with the orcs in, in the films and stuff. Seems to have a penchant for saying more than he really ought to. Yeah. About what's going on. He, like, he just like goes into monologue mode. Um, this also, the scene that you, we've seen in the, the, the video log of, um, of uh, uh, Tauriel saying, you know, oh, you want death? Let me right. give it to you. Right. That is also from here. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is, and I'm guessing this is Tauriel leaving right after she's yes. like been dismissed. Been dismissed. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but, um, but the, the, they're, they're, not major major spoilers, but the but there's very interesting stuff from the scene. Uh, but you but it's stuff that you probably are happier not knowing. Not 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 yeah. in the sense that it's bad, but it's just it's you know kind of it will reduce the surprise and interesting yeah. enjoyment of the film. But all right, I need a log of protest here. We have never ever ever at Riddles in the Dark been barred from discussing something. <laughs> uh, I a- I want to protest this. I don't know that the, that having Corey decide not to read the spoiler is equal to. We're not allowed to talk about it. Well, we can talk about it, but we can't talk about it with Corey. Either. Yeah, I'd just rather you didn't. That's all. <laughs> I mean, if right. you want to, if you want to, well, I hadn't uh, heard the explicit request, and it's no, it's true. Because, I mean, there, there are definitely pieces of it that I think are interesting tie-ins to the book, but now we're not allowed to even discuss. Yeah, <sighs> but you know, but the thing is, the thing is that, so I, I'm willing. I, I, I sort of get what you're saying. Um, if but I think they'll be interesting to discuss after seeing the film. I, I don't See, think I, that, I, I just don't. I mean, I, I understand. I don't me, think that they're. I don't agree. <laughs> I don't think it's. I don't think that they're. I don't think that they're. They're interesting. They are interesting to think about. But I think they'll still be interesting to think about after the film. I don't. See, I, I don't I, think I, I'm glad that you're lodging your opinion, but I don't know that your opinion now needs to become the rule. I I appreciate that, and I just want to disagree respectfully with my learned colleague well, and say that actually I think there are some interesting pieces that are worth speculating. I mean, we've been speculating on stuff out of the trailer, well, well, and I but, think it's equally... You know, but I think, way. but I do think the overriding principle is we don't force people to 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 listen to or discuss things that they'd rather not. So, you know, like if you're like, no, 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 we, we totally got to get on record with this stuff, 
then I think like, hey, and Laura and like Laura's on board or whatever, then like we should do a separate episode. But if Corey, if Corey's like, eh, I'd really rather not know, then we can't force compel him to discuss it against his will. Here's 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 my thought. First of all, um, I want to I wanted to clarify something. Robert was saying that he said I thought spoilers didn't diminish a good story, which I've said many times before. Um, yeah, that's not my concern. My concern is not that the story is going to be ruined if I know in advance. Um, my concern is primarily with the mechanism of knowing in advance. That is to say, if Peter Jackson were releasing that twenty minutes of footage. Um, for public viewing, I would watch it. Um, and I wouldn't care about watching it. I would enjoy watching it, and I'd enjoy talking about it. What I don't enjoy talking about as much is somebody's written account of the 20 minutes of film. We've done that one time before with the CinemaCon thing back in season one. Um, and that was okay, mostly because we didn't have much, we had so little to talk about then um, that I didn't mind bringing that, though, you know, we were both Dave and I were very um, sort of dubious about a bunch of the things that were being discussed in that description. Um, here, my resistance, again, is not to knowing spoilers per se. It's not like, I mean, I'm not going to refuse to watch trailers or anything like that because I don't want to know in advance. Um, it's the... Um, my biggest problem with it is that when somebody says, okay, I've seen this this stuff, this is what happens in the movie, that feels like information when I don't feel that we have information, or rather it, it will tend to be made into more information than it is. Um, because what we're getting is one person's version, one person's description, and one person's interpretation of what he has seen. And I am... And that is basically my biggest problem is that is not that I don't that I want less data. It's that I want good data and I don't consider that good data. I consider that bad data. Or at least so very let's put it this way. Potentially all you misleading data. Complaining, all you gotta do is track down a bootleg copy of the actual footage and we will discuss it from now until Tuesday. <laughs> All we have to go on is uh, is this dude, this OneRing.net dude's like um, uh, uh, commentary riddled description of it, partial description of it. Then then Corey's. I'm okay, uncomfortable. Now with I am gonna I'm gonna now I have to put my foot down on this because of the fact that I have to defend <laughs> everybody else is talking about what a wuss I am and, and always caving. To <laughs> I'm not going to cave here. I'm not saying we should go through the whole torn thing word by word. I agree. I don't want to do that. But to bar me from mentioning drunk elves in the, in the cause of the <laughs> Elven King, I don't agree with that. It's like, you know, I, I'm allowed to say stuff that's in the extended edition. It's like, I think it's interesting because we've speculated on that in the yeah. past. Are they yeah. going to have drunk elves? Apparently they are. And it, there's more than one person saying that. Yeah. I think we can rely on that data. I am not going to, you know, cave on this just because, and I also think we need controversy in the rules of the dark. So I think we're going to have more listeners to this episode because I'm <laughs> not allowing Dave. See, Dave tries to take over just by talking. He does the volume of, of words. You know, he just keeps talking and won't let you talk. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let this one go by. But I do think, I do agree, I know, I know, it usually works. Um, I do agree that I don't want to go through the whole thing word for word. I agree because I think it's just getting, lending way too much credence to that. But I do think there were some interesting pieces to it. And, you know, and basically, I would be willing to... Well, but, but I want to think about it more and process it more. Um, I, okay. would be, I would be willing to discuss tidbits 
that is tidbits in particular, tidbits that, you know, especially if you and Dave sort of are willing to agree that there are, you know, these sort of maximally objective tidbits, you know, stuff that is just, you know, a description of things that occur in the film. I'm less interested in, you know, here's like this story that we get. I, 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 basically, I don't want this 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 other guy's version of the story. I want to I want I want to see the film version of the story. But something like that. I mean, I agree with you, Trish. I don't really disagree. I, I, I don't object to knowing that elves get drunk. I find that interesting too, um, and because that is, as you say, something that we've speculated about. But but yeah, I I, I guess that that's the reason why I don't plan to read the thing um, because. It's not the sto- it's it's not the story. It's his version of the story, and I don't know. I, I, like I right. said, if we could see it, if I could actually get the footage, I'd talk about it. I wouldn't have any hesitation of watching the twenty minutes of footage. Um, but uh, so yeah, it's not it's not that's it's it's not exactly a spoiler issue per se. Um, right. It's uh, but like thinking in, in this scene, which has provoked this discussion again. See. Um, to say, you know, like Dave, as you were saying, like when I was asking that question, you're like, well, if you want to know, I can tell you. Well, but how much of that do we know? How do how, how much do we know, in fact, of the backstory? Like this guy's given the backstory. How much of that really was depicted in the 20 minutes? How much of it is what he has put together from that 20 minutes? Uh, you know, what, what exactly do we get? I, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, how much of his description... I don't know. Like I say, these these are the questions that I'm. Um... I, I think we could. I think we could distill out. Um, so, like for example, in the orc, uh, the orc interrogation scene. I think we could distill out one line. Yeah. That's that I think is a word for word transcription of dialogue. Okay. That is very interesting. And then leave aside all the other. Um, yeah. Uh, Commentary. All, all the other. Yeah. Yeah, crap. Where he's talking about friend who will be a good cop and blah blah blah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I doubt it's nonsense. And and and, in in my opinion, the only thing that's interesting in this scene is a single one. Like the rest of it is just like blah, whatever. I think there's one, there's one, there's one line that I think is interesting, and then the rest of it is just kind of window dressing. Uh, Yeah, and and basically, I would you know, um, uh, Brent has just was sort of asking about uh, you know wanting to sort of talk more in detail about why the write-up is bad. One thing I, I would want to say, it's exactly, just... I don't necessarily, I, I'm not assuming that this guy's done a bad job. I'm not, I'm also not assuming that his interpretation is inaccurate. I, I, I don't want, I know it might, it might sound like that, like I'm just looking down my nose at the interpretation done by this loser uh, on the net. I'm not trying to say that at all. It may be that his, that his, that his, uh, his analysis is totally insightful and and spot on. I, I, once I've seen the film myself, I might go back and read it and find that I completely agree with him. That's entirely possible. My problem is I don't like reading interpretation before I've seen the primary text. That's what I don't like. Um, and you know, e- even if it turns out to be interpretation that I agree with in advance, this is one reason why I never read introductions to books. I hate introductions to books. <laughs> really? Yes, I never read them. I'm, I sometimes go back and read them after I finish the book, but I never read them before I read the book. What, what's, your take, what's your take on um, what's your take on on Tolkien's like um, introduction to Lord of the Rings? Like, the prologue. Do, I think it's. I think that he writes it very carefully in order to avoid doing that. Tol- Tolkien hated this too. Um, I, I'm thinking of. Uh, I mean, this is a very obscure text. The. Um, <sighs> Those of you who know Smith of Wooten Major may remember uh, that Tolkien that the story Smith of Wooten Major 
emerged from an introduction. Tolkien was asked to write an introduction to uh, to George MacDonald's uh, fairy tale story, The Golden Key. Um, and so he was set to write the introduction. And as he was writing the introduction, he wanted to illustrate fairy and what it was like. And so he started telling this story about this special cake and everything. And then the story just kind of took on life of its own and it became Smith of Wooten Major. And he never finished writing the introduction to, the, to George MacDonald's Golden Key. And it was never published. In Vroen Flieger's edition of uh, Smith of Wooten Major, she gives the unfinished draft of the introduction to George MacDonald's Golden Key that Tolkien never finished. And that introduction is really fascinating. I love it, because he spends half of his draft of the introduction complaining about introductions and how much he hates them, and, uh, and, and that he's writing, he's writing one and really unco- obviously really uncomfortable with writing it. Um, and actually, I, I find, it, I, I find that, that text just hilarious. But... But anyway, um, so no, what he does in The Lord of the Rings, in the prologue of The Lord of the Rings, is, in, is emphatically not the kind of thing that I'm describing, which is interpretation of the story you haven't read yet. He doesn't do that. You know, he gives background stuff. He makes some references. Um, uh, you know, he, 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 he gives some, some, th- some things which are almost spoilers, or at least are uh, heavy foreshadowings. Um, you know, like when he foreshadows what happens with Merry and Pippin uh, by uh, referring to uh, um, uh, the uh, Bolror took uh, being the tallest uh, hobbit in record, except for two famous characters. Uh, but that will be dealt with later on in this book. You know, so there there are there are things like that that he does. But um, but no, it's it's interpretation before I've seen the primary text. That's what bothers me. And again, and, and it's not necessarily a critique of the interpretation. I just dislike doing that. And that's why I do, I never read introductions before I read the book. I always start a book at chapter one. Um, and, and especially I'm talking about introductions written by other people. Um, because they always do interpretation. And I can't stand that. Um, so, so, yeah. Why do you think they usually, why do you think, what, what, what is with, why do people like to include introductions to books? I don't know, and I think Tolkien's suggestion again. He he makes this suggestion in that uh, in that abortive introduction to the Golden Key. He says, "Really, things like this should be come, should come at the end of books." But I suppose yeah. publishers don't put them there because they think people won't read them, um, and so you know they want some kind of scholarly accompaniment or something um, to the text. Um, and they, you know, uh, you know, something to, if somebody picks it up and looks at it, they want, here's this like excellent and famous scholar telling you why you should read this book and why this book is important and, uh, and what's so good and so interesting about it. And sometimes you get, here's important information that might help you to understand some parts of the book better, but really you can't, you can't avoid, again, not just spoilers in the sense of learning what happens later on in the story, you get those too, um, but interpretation. Um, and, and I find myself actively annoyed, like it drives me crazy reading somebody's interpretive claims about a story that I haven't read yet. Well, you're, you're very, um, you're, you're positively Tolkien-esque. Because <laughs> I see what you're saying, like reading someone else's introduction gets into, it's similar to Tolkien's complaint about sort of the purposeful, willful domination of the author rather than the freedom of the reader to mm-hmm. interpret. Mm-hmm. And, and in, an introduction by someone else where they uh, prime you to a particular um, interpretation of the text is doing the same thing. Yeah. And that's your reading of the thing. Exactly. And that's, and that's just 
that's not only um, that's not only you know maybe questionable or something. It's just rude. I mean, if the author wants to assert some kind of domination over the reader of his book, like you might not agree with that, but at least like that's his prerogative anyway, you know. Yeah. But for a third person to come in and be like. Let me before you read this book. Let me tell you how you know. Let me tell you what you should see. You know. Let, yes. let me tell you how everything works and the meaning of everything, so that as you're reading it, you can think of nothing beside what I've already told you. Right. Like, that's just rude. Or they give you, or they give you some background on the author and how the book came to be, which which uh, steers you in the also in a direction Tolkien hates, which is um, interpreting the story through the lens of uh, the, the right. author's personal history. Right. Yeah. Ma- That's interesting. Make sure you're only thinking of the biography of the See, look, of the author. Look where you've led us, Trish. It's fascinating <laughs> discussion. I know, I know. Well, actually, I was going to bring it back to uh, to this review. I, I actually look at the torn thing more like the Empire article, um, because I think the Empire article also includes some some subjective author opinion that I pretty much didn't. You know, I didn't report it for that right. very reason, right. which is I, it wasn't germane. And so that's, you know, I'm looking at the same way. It's like I could go through this torn write-up and pull out those kinds of salient facts that have to do with things we've talked about in the past that are obviously not subjective but are actually a report of stuff and do something similar to the Empire. Um, because I think that that's really, to me, more the parallel is it's more of a subjective reporter's view as opposed to, you know, like yes. Yes, and that's why you know, I, I, you know, Andy Higgins was just comparing it to opera reviews. Absolutely, Andy. All reviews. I hate reviews. I never read reviews. I never ever ever read reviews. And if I ever am happen to find myself accidentally afflicted with somebody's review um, uh, against my will or without my knowledge, it makes me more stubborn than ever. Especially if somebody hates something. <laughs> And that makes me want to see something twice as much. Right, me too. Um, me too. Yeah. But uh, but I mean, but more than that, how many times has that bit you where you've gone and you've been like, "Yep, that was bad." <laughs> <laughs> but at least I decided it was bad. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. But the thing is, as I, I mean, I find like more than that, I just find them irrelevant. I mean, it's it's like. Why would I? Why would I take your word for this? Right. Like you know, so this is your judgment. This is what you say. But you know, you've seen this and you come to these conclusions. Well, okay, but what on earth does that have to do with the question of should I see the movie? I mean, it's it's like I mean, I may end up agreeing with your conclusions, but but you know, I I I still reserve the right to draw my own freaking conclusions about the thing on my own. You know, I just, I, and so, I mean, the whole concept, the whole, the whole project of writing reviews of something, you know, of telling people in advance, like, frankly, this is what literary, what literary criticism was originally. Like, that's the, that's the origin of literary criticism is like 18th century literary magazines, which like basically tell people, here are the virtues that you should look for in a book. And here are, you know, books, uh, that are, you know, that are, that are good that you should read and, uh, and, and, uh, books that aren't worth your time. And, um, and basically that's, you know, now you've got these, these people, you know, film reviewers and, and, and art critics and restaurant critics and everybody else who, who want to go around and just tell us, and we're supposed to accept it like sheep, what's good and what's bad and what's worth, you know, what's worth watching and what isn't worth watching. Um, and it just, the whole thing annoys me. I am so annoyed by reviews for exactly these reasons. 
I love listening to Corey on a rant. It's <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, so much fun. You write a Tom Shippy in the rant. <laughs> yeah, I got to get a better so accent, though. First tune in for. Yeah. That's right. That's what I said. I said, look, controversy is good. Well, well this will be probably one of our most listened to riddles in the dark. Listen to David Trish fight. Yay. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll tell you what, Corey. Here's what we'll do for you, buddy. Uh, Trish and I will go through the article, and we'll, we'll just pull out every piece of information, every tidbit from the, from the write-up. That we that we agree unanimously, <laughs> definitely not the guy's opinion or interpretation of what's on screen, but is him directly reporting. Here's what a character said. Here's what a character did. Okay. Not even things like you know, Legolas looks upset about this. Nope, nope, that's, that's right. Nope, okay. nope, absolutely okay. not. Pull out straight dialogue okay. or, or descriptions of or events action. on screen. Perfectly yeah. fair. Perfectly box. fair. And, and I love this plan because it also gives me the opportunity to complain loudly if you guys are wrong afterwards. Uh, so like, if we actually see the film and any of the things you agree on don't happen or are incorrect, then I can rant again. So I love this. I love this. A win-win situation. I think that's a deal. All right. Win-win situation. Um, yeah, yeah. Where are we? <laughs> okay, uh, trailer. Hey, there's a trailer going on. Um, oh, that's right. I really hate Rotten Tomatoes, Corey. I never look at it. I never look at it. That's hilarious. Yeah, I have no interest in it. And, of course, I have the complete opposite situation going on. Teresa will refuse to go to see any movie that has less than 70%. Oh, my goodness. Well, see, I don't know. I mean, I guess... I, I, it's it's difficult. I mean, you know, so, you know, some people are saying, you know, that you know, critics can be good for like keeping you from wasting your time. I guess again, I don't agree. Like, I don't even consider watching a bad movie a waste of time. There's always interest. There's always something to be learned. Even if even if even if you get nothing but amused mockery out of it, that's still something. Uh, I mean, I, I I guess I feel like I don't I don't feel like my time has ever completely been wasted in watching a film. Or doing something like that. I mean, any more than I would consider my time wasted if I went to a, you know, to like a, a, a an exhibit of paintings that I disliked. Um, I wouldn't consider that. I might not have enjoyed myself, um, but I wouldn't consider it a waste of time. Um, you know, it was still interesting. You know, to, to come into contact with, uh, even with a poor performance. I mean. I still learned. I, I feel like I still learned something from you know from uh, from watching that, or I don't know. Um, uh, the one thing I guess let's see. Um, Brianna is defending reviews and uh, critiques of video games. Brianna, I would agree to the extent that if somebody says the game just doesn't work properly, um, I mean, if there are like technical problems or like the gameplay is really, really, really boring for reasons that they can point to, I'm kind of interested in that. Um, uh, Such so as absence of a catastrophe button. <laughs> yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, but but uh, but yeah. I mean, as far as the but uh, but I do treat even with video games. Um, Robert Brown wants to know if you look at your own reviews. Yeah, sure, I do. Mostly, not all of them. I mean, I don't hunt for them. But uh, but there, I am interested for a totally different reason. Um, because I'm not any longer shopping for a book. I, I, that book I already know. So I am interested to hear what other people's responses have been. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I, I will definitely look at reviews uh, there. But because, again, it's a totally different 
situation. But no, I would I, I would never read reviews of a book that I'm interested in reading. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's see. Okay, trailer. There was a trailer going on. Trailer. Oh, trailer. trailer going right. on. Um, let me... Well, everybody's really getting their money's worth, and we've actually retained still most of our audience. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, we're going to be mocked on YouTube again. So anyway, but we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna accelerate here. Um, uh, there was only one other piece of voiceover that I was really interested in in this trailer, um, which we'll get to later on. But um, the uh, so I, I want to mostly kind of skim through the visuals here. Um, the last comment I want to make about this before you guys peel back the curtain and and tell me later on uh, the true story of everything that's occurring, um, I would just say the one clear piece of evidence from that one line delivered by Mr. Creepy-Eyed Goblin here is that there's obviously some kind of greater knowledge and probably coordination among the enemy troops than was obvious in the first film. In the first film, we got... um, we got Azog on a mission, which, by all evidence presented to us in film one, was a personal vendetta. Uh, merely a personal vendetta. Um, and uh, and that he didn't even necessarily care about who Thorin was, other than the fact, I mean, other than like who he was for his, their own personal history. The fact that he may or may not be the king under the mountain uh, in Erebor... Um, it was not obvious that that entered into Azog's calculation. He was like the dude who chopped my arm off. And that's really what Azog appeared to care about in film one. Similarly, the references to, uh, uh, to Azog by the, um, uh, by the Goblin King, um, you know, by the, by the, by the great Goblin rather, uh, in film one suggested a not a familiarity but not real coordination. Like he's heard rumors about, you know, that Azog is going around and that he's hunting for Thorin. Um, but it did not necessarily imply that they were working together or coordinating in any way. This, the uh, fact that we get a goblin here who is talking about Thorin in his return to the mountain and um, and you know making sort of uh, 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 threatening, or I was going to say prophetic, or at least threatening remarks about that. Um, does uh does suggest that there's um that there's some kind of at least knowledge if not coordination so that's the one thing that I would say based upon only this trailer um uh, now again just looking at the visuals oh look it's azog jumping up on the parapet for the third time we're now <laughs> we now have a one hundred percent azog jumping up on the parapet and a one hundred percent shooting from branches down into barrels they uh, really made use of their uh their library of uh, clips, didn't they? Yeah, yes. now we've got land, uh, uh, Legos sheathing his... Thing. Again, now we've got This Is Not Our Fight, Yes It Is Again, the same Mirkwood shot we've seen before, Thorin being threatened that looks like he's with Orcrest. Orcrest. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it is Legolas's hand in that poster, Dave. <laughs> uh, because this seems to be the moment when Orcrest is taken from him, I would guess. Um, right after the spiders were still all covered in cobwebs. So this implies to me here that the rescue scene that we see of Legolas and uh, Tariel coming and rescuing uh, the dwarves is going to end confrontationally between them, um, which is kind of interesting. And he's wearing armor in that scene, too. Yes. Yeah. 
Okay, so yeah, we live in this world, um, and now we're climbing. We get more shots of the stairs and the colossal dwarf statue, which is cool. <laughs> I love that. Uh, we live in this world. <laughs> and it's, who's that? Nori's hair? Nori looking a, at the... That's a, that's a nose. That's it's the, the profile uh, of the statue of the dwarf, yeah. Yeah, yeah it looks like Nori, yeah. Looking Nori at the Nori. mountain and saying... Is my nose really that big? Actually, I think <laughs> now that I live in New Hampshire again, I think this is like a, this is like a, an homage to the old man of the mountain here. You know, I think this is like in memoriam of the old man in the mountain. It's the old dwarf in the mountain. Okay, so uh, yes, yeah, we're going to give you the quotation from uh, trailer one, but we're going to complete the sentence and say it's the Arkenstone appearing radially at the center of these rays here as I see how obviously significant it is. It is the center of the whole thing. Bilbo coolly asking what's that. I just that? said this to, uh, who was it? Somebody, Dime, I think it was in the question. I don't, the, the thing I got about the, the big deal they're making about the Arkenstone now, I'm confused because in the prologue in an unexpected journey. They say, you know, they found the Arkenstone, the heart of the mountain. And basically they say that Thror uses the Arkenstone as a justification for his rule. He doesn't, it doesn't say he who has it gets to be king. It's yeah. more like he just, he uses it as a justification. So now it's all of a sudden taken on this huge, you know, thing. I don't understand. Right. Well, that's my big question. Is its significance symbolic or actual, like, is it magical, yeah. or is it just a, a really important symbol? And saying that it's merely symbolic, of course, is not to say that it isn't really important. Symbols are very important. Um, uh, and if everybody agrees that the symbol is important, then it's important. But but the way that it's being discussed in the trailers for the second right. film are leading me to wonder: is there actual some ki- actually some kind of magical potency or other that it? Um, yeah. That it is that it's supposed to have. Um, here is we got the attitude of Thorin towards Bilbo here. What's that? That Master Bola is why you are here. Yes, <laughs> Thorin. Um, yeah, he's looking pretty threatening here. Um, you kind of wonder, like. <clears throat> Has Bilbo already run over Thorin's dog or something? Like, <laughs> what is it exactly that has... I mean, because we've talked about this. We've done whole episodes on the Thorin-Bilbo relationship. And I have to say that I have not found the trailers very illuminating on that question so no. far. I mean, yes, we see that Thorin is going to become antagonistic to Bilbo. We all knew that would happen sooner or later. But the questions we've been asking about, how does this come about? What is it? that leads to this conflict, I don't feel like we've gotten anything on that yet. I mean, I, do you, I, what do you guys think? Am I missing something? No, I think you're right. It's kind of digital, you know? We yeah. go from a hug to a, you know, you're, right. you're scum. Right. Yeah, I mean, Andrew says dragon sickness. Yeah, I mean, I, I do imagine that this is going to be a kind of index of how far corrupted uh, Thorin is, but... Um, but uh, but but still, there's got to be some pretext, right? Um, now, I do think um, there's a flash of a scene. I don't know if we've gotten to it yet, where Balin is saying, "I'm worried about you," and I think he's. I'm assuming he's talking to Thorin. Yes, me too. Me too. Yeah, and we're gonna get that. That's not here. Now, this is Balin being like, "I am showing solidarity to Bilbo." Um, right. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. So if we, this I keep questioning. That's, mo- that's not, that guy's not identified as Girian, by the way. And the more so I much. think about it, the more it's uh, oh, rather. I, I, and you know, we got to be careful drawing conclusions like this from trailers. The more they keep integrating this clip, the less it looks like a flashback to me. Um, it, it is in the extended edition movie. Yeah. UJ. Yeah, and I don't know why they have it in this trailer because that scene of him oh. with the ballista and the thing blowing up is in the extended edition. Oh, okay. So it's just a, it's a, okay. oh, weird. I know. I thought that was kind of strange too. Unless oh. they're going to review it in the beginning of Desolation of Smaug. Right. To review, let's go back. If you didn't see the extended edition, let's just go back here. Weird. The marketing people just shoved it in here. They shoved it in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Well, okay, so, yeah, we've got, like... You must always beware of reading too much into a thing that's primarily designed to convince us to go to the movies. Yes. I was, I was going to agree with you because I thought you were going to say, you must always beware of marketing people. And I was going to say, yes, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Beware of marketing well. people, yes. That's right. Okay, so we've got um, the, right, the barrels um, with nobody wearing proper safety equipment, as we've seen before, and Thorin swinging some kind of orc weapon in a very violent manner, while Keeley, who still does not quite yet look injured, though looks slightly manic, uh, fires off his bow, which he has somewhere acquired, I don't know where. And then we've got Toriel. Oh, Bilbo's in the water, I didn't see. Did you notice Bilbo was in the water by Keeley there? Yep. Oh yeah, that is his head, right? So yeah, so he's yeah. clinging onto Keeley's barrel, uh, and then we have air traffic control cleared for landing, and <laughs> yeah, Bilbo, the Karate Kid, Tariel. Yeah, I like the juxtaposition of those two scenes because it looks like he's looking at her. Right. Exactly. Uh oh, here she comes. Um, so yeah, so <laughs> here's Bilbo looking up at Mirkwood. We saw this in trailer number two. <clears throat> trailer number two shot of the canopy tree, of Mirkwood. Yeah. Now, here's, okay, new shot. Gandalf and Radagast. The world is in grave danger. Radagast, getting all senior statesman-like here, you know. Uh, Yeah, yeah, this is not your ridiculous Radagast there. Um, But anyway, just go the, the quick look at the visuals. Spider pouncing on Bilbo and him falling like we saw in number two. Legolas fighting in Lake Town as we saw in number two. Uh, Toriel and Orc in woods as we saw also. This is the same shot we saw where he's using his two knives and not Orcrist. This is hopefully Pointing Elf, who also is also it's blows horns elf. too. Yes. I blow too. Yes, he just he just he just he's he's perhaps we should change his name to Notification Elf. I don't know. Alert Elf. (laughs) This is just him pointing in a in a broader radius, basically. Um, I guess this is Elros, maybe. Oh, that's right. We that's right because we've been wondering who would be. Yeah. Get the name Elros. Okay, Dol Guldur, yeah. Snap for Radagast being all senior statesman-like, the spider climbing up the back of the tree. Uh, Okay, now look at the look at the mountains in the background there. Look at the peaks. The ruins. Looks like Dol Guldur. You're thinking it's uh Well, see, it's still not this is really It's not mountainous enough. 
uh, if you look at the the scene with the orcs, like you can see mountains. Yeah, like, uh, over here. I mean, it could just be angle and mist. Um, I think it. Uh, I'm 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 going for. Um, going to bed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and so there we get him uh, uh, going across another narrow bridge, which we know Gandalf is frightfully it. keen on. We've seen that before. Yeah, we did. Trailer two. Now we get. Uh, okay, here's the scene. Here's the scene. Fire. Okay, hang on a second. Oh, and I swear that's the thrush. Sharon thinks it might be the arrow, but I think it's a bird. What that looks like is a ballista fired from... Oh my gosh, now it does, doesn't it? I swore I thought I saw um, wings flapping. I believe that this is more extended edition Dale footage that is not actually a part of this movie. Well, that's, that's Dale. That's not Lake Town. Yeah, There's you're right. Structures there. Yeah. So here's the dragon flying over, and then I'm playing it forwards now. The thing yes. flying up to hit him. From it the, does look like the ballista. And now that, that, that that is the ballista down, down there. Yeah, we've seen this before. Yeah, this is just the extended edition of Dale. Oh, it is a ballista. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's that is a foreshortened ballista bolt. It does seem. That is a ballista, right? That's not an air. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. No, that's the. A, it's it's, a, it's like the forearmed ballista thing yeah. that we saw in the other okay. shot. Okay. Now, interestingly enough, that scene's not in the extended edition, so it makes me wonder if maybe there's going to be a prologue where they replay that scene. A super extended edition. Okay. I want to. I want to go back here because we're all burning together, and, and I'm not understanding. Let's see. This is Together. If this is to end in fire, then we will all burn together. Okay. So what he's stating here is a strongly anti-self-sacrificial outlook. Like, I'm... I I don't know. I wonder if they're arguing before that. Yeah. Here's Bilbo having dropped the ring, apparently, before he recovers it and is very grateful. If he can spot it in the dark from that far away, hobbits have very sharp eyes indeed. Uh, this definitely made me think of the whole ring abandoning its wearer thing. Yeah. What is this? The Arkenstone? That's when they visit the, the tomb of the Nazgul. Yeah, it, it does look like Gandalf's staff light. Yeah, and it's the broken. It's the broken. We've seen this before. Oh actually. yeah, this is the broken bars. Yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah. I was missing that. I was just focusing on this and missing the framework there. Yeah, 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 it's the broken bars. Yeah, so that would be Gandalf and Radagast at the tomb. Okay, and here's her the duck maneuver. That's, we've seen that a zillion times. Right? Yeah. Uh, okay, we haven't seen that exact spider shot. We get elves drawing weapons. We get Gandalf about to whack the eye. As we saw before, <laughs> Bjorn coming out of the woods. We see a little Very bit more fast, of him this yeah. time than we did before. Bilbo. Falling fa- in the water. Falling through the gates into the water. Right. Yes. Like a log for some reason. Yes, for some reason. I don't. That is not a safe way to dive. Yeah, definitely not. Um, well, we, we actually know why that happens, but. Dave and I have to prepare that for you. <laughs> He's just too amazing. The courage of hobbits. 
So that's definitely a cup that he's holding there, right? Yeah, I'm, I, that made me happy. I don't know what, what I just thought. What I don't understand is is how Fallen is generalizing, making general statements about the courage of hobbits when he has direct experience of one. Yeah. I had the same thought. I'm like, God, Val, you're the really The courage of hobbits. Here. This is the first <laughs> hobbit you have ever made. <laughs> I know. I know. I had that same thought. Well, and, he, he, and it's not like hobbits are well... It's not like... Yeah, sure, I haven't met any hobbits, but I've heard about these other courageous hobbits. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. The legends of courageous hobbits are clearly well justified, I see. Yeah. yeah. I, feel like, I feel like that's a line that is... Um, I feel like this, this is another one of those weird sort of playing fast and loose with the order of the films uh-huh. um, type thing. Or like Sharon like, says, balance taking Gandalf's line. Yeah. <laughs> right. And they're, and they're playing off of they're playing off of they're they're util, leveraging the fact that we have already seen films with courageous, surprisingly courageous hobbits in it before, even though Fallen hasn't. Yeah. So it's an attempt to remind us of the films yes. we've already watched. Yes. Yeah. Right, just in case we're still we're sitting we've already paid for a ticket. We're sitting in this film and we're still not convinced. <laughs> and what they're doing is subliminally reminding us of the other films that we liked. That there yeah. are more courageous hobbits to come. Yeah. That we've already seen. That we've already seen, yeah. By the way, it's just like, I, I would uh, like to... There's a point where it's like, I've already paid to see this film. You don't need to remind me of the other films. Um, I, I, one thing that we that I missed uh, a few minutes ago, I, I want to just go back to mention briefly. Uh, Benedict um, uh, has said, maybe a, about the flying ballista bolt that we were looking at, maybe a ballista wounds Smaug, and that's the point that Bilbo spots and the one Bard later uses to kill Smaug. Interesting. That the gap That's in his in his armor is actually a scar left from a previous wound that he received. Um, that is brilliant. I like That's a very good that is brilliant. Theory. I like it, Benedict. I like it too. It's the one thing it seems difficult to reconcile is with Smaug marching through the gates of you know blowing down the gates of Erebor and coming in, which is presumably after. He's destroyed Dale based on what the sequence we got in the prologue uh, scene. He didn't look like he was sporting a major ballista wound at that point, but maybe he was. You know, maybe we just didn't see it. Maybe you know, uh, Smaug was just well, maybe it was a the small thing there. and it festered later. You know, it yeah, got, exactly. Got, got, right. uh, you know, <laughs> that would be a, that, that, that would be an excellent heroic touch. Unfortunately, <laughs> Smaug's wound got septic later on, and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Jan does point out injured animals are extremely dangerous. That's true. Maybe, uh, maybe the ballista wound in his side is what really threw him over the top, and and he totally trashed Erebor. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ed has. I think a... it's too bad Jackson and his team don't listen to our podcast. They're very funny. <laughs> Ed has a has a really interesting comment, which I think is very insightful. Ed says, "Occasionally, Philippa Boyens understands good dialogue. She just doesn't care who speaks it." Uh, <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. From my first viewing of the Fellowship of the Ring, that sense of like I'm having surreal out of body experience hearing one character deliver another character's lines at a different time. Um, uh, yes, yes, that. Uh, that does seem to be uh, entirely accurate. Um, uh, Kieran asks, isn't that seen in the extended edition and we see the ballista just bounce off of Smaug's scales? 
I, I'm at, I was just answering Karen and said, you know, it might be you should always take what I say. You know, you should always question what I say when mm-hmm. I assert things like that. Because I could have turned my head for a moment and we, I would have not seen that scene. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's see. <clears throat> let's see. Um, well, well we're, we're, are we are still planning to discuss the extended edition. We'll probably do that yes. in the next episode. So we'll, we'll, we'll yes. definitely come back to this. So that's something we need to make, make note of that when we all watch it again, just, you know, look for that scene. Right. Okay, avalanche of One thing here, we've seen this shot, but does... Okay, and I was wondering what this thing is. It looked like something like Bilbo was... like gets thrown off. There's something large. It's just something big. Okay, this thing. I just I wanted to slow it down and see what this thing was because it looked like you, know, you get gold coins scattering everywhere and one larger object tossed off to the side. And I was wondering if that might actually be Bilbo, but it looks like it's not. Or the Arkenstone. Yeah, <laughs> presumably not. Though when last we saw the Arkenstone, it was disappearing into a maelstrom of gold coins. Right. That's right. <laughs> Here, let's get oh, the Cumberbatch's entire so line, cool. yeah. Now, <laughs> Dave, do I understand properly that people were objecting to this line? Um, like on Facebook you were mentioning before, I think. I can't remember what they were saying. I, I think you said something about that somebody was saying that, that Smaug was saying that because he had the Arkenstone. I don't think that's true. Yeah, I think that's Smaug. Smaug's like basically saying, hey, I'm, I'm bad and I'm king. Yeah, people were just sort of doing their usual, the, the usual thing of reading way too, you know, like yeah. a wild speculation of like, oh, maybe, you know, we've been talking about how the, the Arkenstone bestows upon someone kingship. Maybe Smaug's saying that he's got it or whatever. And it's like, I don't, I think he's just making an ironical statement, like, uh, you know, Thorin's not king under the mountain. I am. I'm, I'm unbeatable. I'm, I'm in the mountain, guys. Just, right. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm here. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm in charge of things right now. So uh, if there's a king under the mountain, it's me. Yeah, I mean, and that's... Right, exactly. That's, and he does that in the book. He says that in the right. book at the end of chapter 12. They shall see me. He's talking about the lake men, of course. They shall yeah. see me and remember who is the real king under the mountain, says Smaug. That's so, right. I mean, yeah, that's 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 totally... Like, that line seems to me totally uncontroversial uh, yeah. for that reason. <laughs> Well, I mean, people, people like it's uh, 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 speculating wildly is what makes all of this fun. So, yeah, of people are going to do that. So, so I don't. I, of course, I we're about that. that. So, yeah, so well, final. Yeah, we, don't, we speculate, here. but not wildly. Goes with that thing. Engages in that sort of behavior, but hey. everything we say is founded. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're just not wild about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I do. I. I. But I wonder. Um, I wonder. I wonder what they're doing, though. I wonder if perhaps there's going to be a great like. So Smog is really never he, he, the 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 extent to which he is aware of what's going on in the book is he smells some dwarves. He smells Bilbo, whatever Bilbo is. He suspects the lake men are fiddling, are fooling with him, etc. I kind of wonder if they're going to make it a little more personal, like if he actually understands that he is under assault from uppity dwarves attempting to reclaim their homeland. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, there's the business where, where Bilbo says that they've come for revenge and he laughs at that. Um, 
you know, that's all, that all, uh, is, so that, that concept is present. Smaug's response, of course, is just to mock at it and saying, you know, where are the, you know, where are the, the, the heirs of them, you know, who dare seek revenge? He's questioning their existence and questioning furthermore that they would even dare to try, even if they did exist. Um, but, uh... <clears throat> I'm hoping that, uh, that we have at least some of the scene or some version of the scene where Smaug is trying to, you know, um, uh, uh, give Bilbo doubt, you know, where he's, yes. he's yes. weaving his, his stuff about, you know, they'll, they'll, they're not going to keep their word to you. And Bilbo's starting to like have doubts. I hope they have something like that. Yes. The, the, yes. This, the, the sowing doubt against the dwarves thing. That would be really cool. Right. Yeah. Um, um, somebody help me. Uh, the one last thing I wanted to talk about in the trailer, and I know I missed it when I was just looking at the visuals, that moment where Gandalf gets the voiceover saying to, to talking about killing the dragon. Does anyone recall where, where that is? It's early on. We have a scene of the dwarves standing in a line, I think at the, near the front gate. Before gates. now. Before now. <laughs> Before the that's end, okay, that's good. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, it's uh, no, it's it's it's. I think more toward the front, right so after. I, I think it's right yeah. after Bard yeah. does his recitation. Of Dragon. It. That's it. Here that's we it. are. That's it, right there. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. What is this place? The desolation of Smaug. Destroy the dragon. Take back your homeland. Destroy the dragon, take back your homeland. That's clearly Gandalf. Yes. yes. What is that supposed to be? His parting words? Like, okay, I gotta go. I'm thinking his parting words, and again, back to the extended edition, we see a scene in the very end of the extended, uh, the extras. I think I mentioned this to you, Corey. We see uh, Gandalf's on horseback. And he's saying to the company, stay to the path, stay to the path. And I think that there are Bjorns, and Bjorn's giving him a horse, and he's taken off for Dalgordur, and he's giving, like, last instructions. And I'll bet that's when he says this. And that's Gandalf's brilliant advice. Okay? Yeah, that's right. Kill the dragon. Take I, have, I have two pieces of advice to you. Uh, destroy the dragon and take back your homeland. If you do that, you should be fine. It sort of reminds me of those, you know, having just uh, having just finished... Uh, watching the World Series with very great pleasure, of course. I can't oh, forbear to mention. Yeah. Did, you, um, did you show up in, in, in your jacket like you did before? <laughs> I, 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 I actually forgot. I meant to do that on Thursday, but oh, I forgot. Um, so, but any, anyway, my point is, I, I, I'm sort of comparing it to the, you know, uh, the, the, the really, really dumb thing that TV announcers do at the beginning of sporting events, where back in the old days, they used to say, these are the keys to the game. And they used to actually consist of tactical or strategic points. Like, if this team manages to, like, counteract that particular threat, they will probably win. Instead, the keys to the game now always boil down to, um, their key to the game is to win. They need to win this game, uh, preferably... By scoring more points than the other team. team. Yes. If they can manage to outscore the other team, I think they've got a good chance. And it's like, thank you. Thank you for that insightful analysis. And basically, that's what this seems like from Gandalf for me. Okay, I will send you off with these parting words. Destroy the dragon and take back your homeland. Okay. 
Also, if possible, reclaim your treasure. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. I've got some other things for your to-do list here, Thorin, just in case. Because yeah. <laughs> I killed along the way. Because you're so forgetful. You know, I just wanted you to keep your eyes focused, Thorin. You're so flighty, you know, and I want you to remind you <laughs> it's about destroying your, the dragon <laughs> and recovering your homeland. Come on now. Have you, have, you, uh, have you guys considered the possibility that, in fact... This is an edited line, and what he was saying is, "Do you really think you're going to be able to?" Just yes, I was. Th- I was thinking that. I was. Actually, I was. That's a good. That would be hilarious. Hilarious if they have reversed the context uh, through sound editing. Um, I will. I will. That that will be one of the points where I will laugh out loud in the theater the first time I see it. If that in fact that ends up happening. Funny. Uh, but yes, I was, I was actually, I was thinking, I was just thinking exactly the same thing, Dave, that that would be hilarious because it sounds, why would Gandalf say, I, I mean, it's hard for me to imagine the context. Um, I, and that is the, 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 the immediate context of Gandalf saying something like that. It's just such a dumb thing to say by itself, <laughs> especially since destroy the dragon is the one thing they've never really had much of a chance of doing. Um, so simply saying, yeah. go forth and destroy the dragon, Thorin, just seems, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Yes. I like to hear what Thorin's response to that is. You know, like, what does Thorin say right after Gandalf says that to him? Like, duh. <laughs> right, right, right. Do you have any, do you have any more constructive feedback? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, Erica says, were they ever trying to kill the dragon or were they just trying to get the treasure back? In the book, they do talk about bringing their curses home to Smaug. I mean, that's present there uh, in Chapter 1. But it's clear that it's the treasure they primarily want. Um, And, uh, you know, I mean, let's say, if you think about it in the book, if they had to choose, you know, choose between a fight to the death against Smaug in which they killed Smaug but themselves were lost or their treasure was lost... Um, would that have been worth it? Or would they have rather um, managed to get all the treasure but Smaug escapes somehow? I mean, just imagining this were theoretically possible. Which one of those things would they choose? You know, where is their, does their priority really lie? In chapter one of the book, no question, they'd like to see the dragon destroyed, but if they could take the treasure back um, and Smaug gets away, I think they'd, they'd, they'd clearly choose that. Rather than killing the dragon at the expense of losing the treasure and and and, and not having anything, I, that I can't see um, them doing. So, Erica, in that sense, you're right. In the book, I don't think it really... It wasn't focused on killing the dragon. Um, but that, I think, has been less true in the film with the with a greater emphasis on vengeance. Especially, I'm thinking, of course, of that scene of... Uh, you know, embittered, vengeful Thorin at his forge at the end of the prologue in in film one. Yeah. Now, I I do want to go on record. I told Andy yesterday after we saw the sneak peek that, you know, uh, this line of if this is to end in fire, then we all burn together. Yeah. Um, um, Armitage was asked during the part, the streaming part of the live event yesterday, what was his favorite line? And Armitage, first of all, went through this Thing about well, I'm a Tolkien purist, and then immediately said this was his favorite line, which is kind of like, why did you even bother to say you're a Tolkien purist if this is the line that's your favorite line? And then I found out that actually this line, when then I saw it in the in the trailer, and then I found out that this line is now going to become kind of like the the line. 
Uh-huh. And I thought, here we are with marketers again. Yeah, they I probably prompted him to say that. Yep. Yeah, it's like Armitage, you know, okay, if somebody asks her, we're going to plant somebody to ask this question. You say this is your favorite line. Now I don't like So I want to let Andy know that I told him that I thought that was a cool line. I now don't think it's a cool line. Hey, hey, do you think that Armitage is clever enough to lead with that thing about being a Tolkien purist in order to undermine what he was about to say to like like, basically him doing like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge and everybody else saying like, you know, don't believe what I'm about to tell you. Oh, you know, that, no, I hadn't. Because you're right, it makes no sense. Especially I mean, if he'd been told that, that right. that's, the, what, that's what he's to say. Oh, gosh. So, 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 so there's yes, Armitage saying, I'm, I'm going to submit to the marching order, and I'm going to be a good soldier, and I'm going to do say what I've been told to say, but I don't really like it, so I'm going to kind of tip my cap to people who, and the marketing people yes. won't pick up on it. But <laughs> I don't know. Yes, that might have been like his apology for saying that he, you know, and I kind of have to say this line here, but I want you guys to know I understand. Right. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, of course, it's also possible that he's just clueless and actually thinks it's from the book, but. Um, <laughs> no, he, that was what he was saying. It was like, even though I'm a Tolkien purist. I see, I see, right, right. And I know this is not a line from Tolkien, this yeah. is my favorite line. So now, actually, you saying that makes what he said make more sense. Maybe. Probably. Maybe. Anyway. It's a generous interpretation, but hey, you know, it's fine. It's fine. I don't mind. And again, by the way, that's another reason why I often don't like watching interviews with actors, because it makes it harder for me to... I I prefer generous interpretations. Um, So that's why I... I, 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 But I I don't like to receive contrary evidence that undermines my generous (laughs) interpretations. I would would rather carry on giving somebody more credit than they deserve than find out that they don't really deserve it. So yes, yes, yes. Well, I mean, another reason too, is what we just, what I was just saying, which is, you know, a lot of times they get set up, you know, this is not a ad hoc spontaneous response. This is one that the marketers set up for him to say, especially since it's in the trailer. Yes. Apparently part of something else that Dave and I will be letting you know later. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Cool. Okay, well, uh, we're three hours in now. It's time for the riddle, right? <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. You think? I, I hadn't. Dave, did you by any chance move it over onto the the our script? Or do we have to dig it out of email? Uh, I can get it out of email, okay, because I was having a problem with um, my. But I've got it here. I can do that. I can, you, I, you want me to read it? Because I've got it right here in front of me. Okay, sure. go ahead. What reason will Film 2 give for Smaug's attacking and occupying Erebor? A, it will give no further explanation beyond the vague reference to wealth in Film 1. B, and we've switched it. I noticed, Dave, you switched it. You're very smart. It will expand upon the idea that Smaug's actions are the typical dragon pursuit of hoarded wealth, which is actually the book answer. It's our first non-A book answer ever. It's our first non-A book answer ever. That's right. We're doing a lot of firsts this time. C, he has a special interest in and desire for the Arkenstone for whatever reason. D, he did it at the behest or command of Sauron. Very nice. Yes. And as Dave... uh, you know, Dave, as you were pointing out, when you constructed this riddle, it's one of those sort of cumulative riddles uh, that any reference to anything further down the list, um, uh, you know, include. You know, so if he if he is looking for hoarded wealth, but also specifically seeking the Arkenstone, the correct answer is C, and B is incorrect. Right. <clears throat> right. Yeah. And if you did it at the behest of Sauron, and all the other stuff applies to D, is correct. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, so uh, smart. You know, Dave, you do have those flashes. You do have those moments. 
Robert Everyone suggests. Robert Brown says, says uh, E, he was envious of the Daleman's toys. That's actually the book answer. That's, that's, that's the real book answer right there. Yeah. yeah. That's the real book answer right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, All right. Uh, okay. Oh, I, I should set these up. Like, I, let me go set this up. You want me to set this yeah, up? Yeah, I want you to go, you go ahead and quick do, do the poll while we okay. think about it here. Okay. Um, okay. I think, A, unlikely that we're not going to get any reference to it. Um, a, 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 a real question, um, this, is like a, this would be like a little sub-riddle. Assuming the answer is not A, and we do in fact learn that, uh, we do in fact learn more about Smaug's reasons for coming to the mountain, from whom do we learn Smaug's reasons for coming to the mountain? Who gives it to us? From Smaug? in the conversation from Thorin. Do we get an extra flashback or something that, or, you know, something that he's concluded from Thranduil possibly who was there and makes some remarks to Thorin about what was really going on on that day. Um, that is a fascinating question from Gandalf. That's really good question. <laughs> the only thing I can imagine would be, uh, I mean, the uh, sort of the thing that planted this in my mind was just um, the speculation about, oh, maybe Smaug has the Arkham Stone and sort of the, the central import being placed on that. And then also the, the confirmation by the filmmakers that they were going to get into the whole coordination between Smaug and, um, uh, and the Necromancer. Yeah. But 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 that brings up that's a very good point. Like, okay, so who is going to explicate this on screen? Yes. Uh, and 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 is it going to be you know is it are we going to get smog uh, monologuing with Bilbo like you know well I came here original let me tell you my story so right I have this old friend I haven't seen him in a while his name was Sauron <laughs> he told me he, he sort of you know we were having coffee one day and he suggested hey you should go down and check out that lonely mountain there's a lot of stuff there I think you can go um, uh, <laughs> right it's kind of hard to imagine them getting into that so how are they going to hint at the idea of coordination and maybe it will be very subtle in which case it, it probably won't be enough to actually indicate the I could easily imagine Smaug dropping something that would give attentive viewers clear evidence that he's coordinating with somebody else, or even that he's taking orders. I mean, I don't know. I don't know enough about how they're really going to do his his character in the I film. I guess he could. I guess. I guess what you could imagine is maybe he might say something like, "I was warned. I was told. I was warned that I might be seeing someone. You know, I, I was sent a message to to keep an eye open for." For um, invaders, something like that, like something very subtle that it's just like even just a, a, a throwaway comment that like I'm you have not taken me at unawares. I've been expecting you. Right. Something like that would be like aha. Who would have told him? Must have been Sarah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, I, Sharon points out that uh, you know the 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 dwarves of Erebor becoming legendary for their wealth. Um, attracted the dragon. That's what well, it re- says in the first film. That is answer A. That's answer A. If that's all we and, ever and hear. Then, 
And the, yeah, and that was that was my my point, and that's why I specifically wrote the question to be, what will we be told in film two? Yes. Uh, about this, and and specifically, if they don't say anything about it whatsoever in film two, then the answer is A. I.e., all we have to go on is what um, was said in film one story about yeah. dragons being attracted to the legendary wealth of Europe. If if in film two they follow up on that and we get more dwarves talking about like you know yeah yeah Smog came here for the for the um, uh, came here for the treasure and stuff if they confirm that and follow up on it but they don't say anything that contradicts you know oh it was just about the wealth that would be B um, C would be if if Thorn or somebody specifically says like you know Smog took the Arkenstone and, and he's keeping it from me something like that and that might be C. Yes. Or uh, or Smog specifically says something about the Arkenstone. Yeah. Yeah. Smog. Yeah. Smog's like you know. I've got your rock. I, I mean, it's probably <laughs> and it's probably not even enough that Smog acknowledges the Arkenstone right. and says he has it. He would have to say that like you know and this is this is why I really came. Here. Right. I heard. You know, rumors or legends of this stone, or yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And this is this was my true objective, right? Just in case you were wondering, um, unknown, unseen burglar person, <laughs> right, right, or not unseen, um, yeah. Um, so, so it, it seems like there's a fairly high bar for C or D here, yeah, and, and they they are maybe unlikely, but they're just it's just interesting. Um, I, I would say uh, uh, Brianna makes a really good point. Um, she says coordinating doesn't mean that uh, you know the command of Sauron was his reason for coming. He could right. have decided to coordinate after settling in Erebor. Um, yeah. So, so that so is. So there would have to be. That's why I said it would have to be. It would have to rise to the level of my good friend Sauron and I were having coffee one day, and he specifically, <laughs> you know, up in the up in the northern wastelands before I came here, and he told me about this place, Erebor. If that's if we get something like that, even if it's not Sauron commanded me to come, but if it's Sauron told me about Erebor, I hadn't heard about it before until Sauron told me, that's deep. Or, 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 or wait, Gandalf is sneaking around Dol Guldur, and he's standing with his back pressed against the wall around a corner <laughs> while Sauron is talking to the Witch King, and, the, and, and Sauron says... That's the most brilliant idea I had since I sent Smaug to Erebor. <laughs> or the Witch King says, gee, boss, that was the best idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Sauron says, this is stop another... sucking up to me. <laughs> yeah, this is another winner. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Or, 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 the, or the Witch King grumbling. Man, you sent Smaug to Erebor, and all I get is this lousy right. ruin. That's right, ruin. That's right. Yeah, you left me to rot in the frickin' tomb. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. See all these possibilities. All of these possibilities. Um, (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Okay, so yes, it's true. We could have direct evidence of coordination, as Brianna says, post Erebor uh, collaboration between them, which um, would still not mean the answer is D. Um, it would yeah. have to be part of his reason to come. Smaug would have, or Sauron would have had to have some hand uh, in, uh, some role to play in Smaug's arrival at Erebor. Yep, so yeah, I agree, the bar's really high for that. Um, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure even I can talk myself into that one. <laughs> so to me, hmm... 
I'm debating between B and C. I can't imagine it's never going to come up. I think it's going to come up. Um, and you know one place where I could see it coming up? Is dinner at Bjorn's house. That's where I could see it coming up. From Gandalf. Gandalf sending them off, giving them a little... Giving us, the film viewers, a little recap, and giving the dwarves, you know, final instructions and context. I could imagine... Gandalf speechifying about Smaug and giving us a, a giving us a review at the beginning of the second film, um, but telling us that he specifically came to Erebor for the Arkenstone. Well, that's the question. Would that ah, be included okay. or not? Um, and I think it's possible, though. Depending on how early on, is it only going to be? I mean, of course, the the beginning of the Arkenstone stuff that we've seen in the trailers has been with Thranduil. Is that going to be the moment in the film when the prominence of the Arkenstone begins really to come into focus, um, or um, <laughs> Andrew's asking if the dancing animal waiters at, at Bjorn's dinner are going to do? Yeah, perhaps they're going to come out, Andrew, and do they're they're going to do a, a a musical number, uh, the, the, the dogs and ponies. It's going to literally be a dog and pony show at Bjorn's house. And they're going to do an expositional musical number that seems more likely than the D answer actually. Uh, but, uh, uh, and Brianna, Brianna asked, no, Brianna, that is incorrect. That is B. If the topic is raised in film two, but repeats what we knew from the first film, that is B. A is literally it is not discussed in this film. Yes. Yeah. Like A A is just A is just we just leave it at what we've already been told. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I'm I'm going to vote. I'm ready. You're ready? I'm ready. I'm going with C. And the reason I'm going with C is not necessarily because of the Dominion thing that is like the connection between whatever the link is between the Arkenstone and Kingship, which as I've said, I still don't understand. Um, it's not for that reason. It is because I um, think that the Arkenstone is sufficiently famous. Uh, and made a big deal of enough, even in the first film, even just as a great and marvelous jewel, that, and it's going to be enough of a focal point that some reference is going to be made to the fact that um, uh, that Smaug coveted that gem. You know, Trish, thinking back to what you were saying earlier on about you know it being kind of, or maybe it was Dave, kind of Silmaril-like, and the way that the sort of the Silmaril-ish aspects of the Arkenstone are going to be um, foregrounded um, for that reason. I can see uh, Smaug desiring it. Um, mm-hmm. and, That's a good point. And them, them choosing to amplify the allure of the Arkenstone by having Smaug piped up and be like, yeah, I'm here for the gym too. Um, because, you know, there are plenty of hordes. Like, yeah, Erebor was rich, but it wasn't the only rich place in the world. Um, but... Mm-hmm. You know, I came here because I heard about the Arkenstone, and I'm the only dragon who's got something like that in his collection, so that's what I really wanted. I, this I can imagine. We don't have a precedent for that in the Silmarillion, do we? I mean, Glaurung never really interacted with the Silmarils, right? 
No. Um, but see, that's a little harder because you know, with Morgoth's relationship to the Silmarils. Oh right, that's you true. know any yeah. of the ca- any of the evil captains that tried to claim them um, would yeah. presumably have uh, experienced immediate demotion. To uh, anybody that coveted it is no longer with us. <laughs> immediate and precipitous demotion uh, by Morgoth. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, actually, no. Wait, we do have one example: Karkaroth, who ate it. Right. Oh, um, that's right. That's right. Uh, but that didn't pan out either. That so, went well for him. Yeah, that yeah didn't go exactly. Well. <laughs> exactly. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I think, and and as far as my answer of how this could be revealed, I think it could come out in the conversation. And it leads me to this other question that I've had for a while, which is, how are we going to get the Arkenstone? That is. Where will it be? How will it be presented? Bilbo, in the book, sees it twinkling on top of the hoard. So he just, it's there. It's lying on the pile. It's on the top of the pile, but it's on the pile. And it seems to be given a place of honor on the pile, because it's way up at the peak of the pile. Um, Because Bilbo has to climb all the way up, and then they see him stoop and pick something up. Um... Is that going to be the case? We last saw the Arkenstone disappearing into the maelstrom um, of the gold when Smaug, you know, buries himself in it um, in the prologue. Um, therefore, options would seem to be um, the Arkenstone is just like jumbled amidst the treasure um, and Bilbo stumbles across it by chance, if chance you call it. Um, another is that he has put it in pride of place on top of the pile as is described in the book, or he has set it back on, uh, you know, like put it, you know, displaying it. He has displayed it prominently somewhere. Smaug has. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Hey, this sounds like another riddle, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but that, but basically the answer to that question, <clears throat> certain answers to that question would set up, a C answer relatively easily. Um, that is, if maybe Bilbo sees the Arkenstone while he's talking to Smaug, like during the course of their conversation, and Smaug could easily then refer to it um, and reference the fact that he desires it and perhaps, you know, came to desire it before. Right, right. That's could true. It could come up in conversation up. between he and Bilbo, yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. So you're, um, you've talked yourself into that, huh? See, si, I'm going with see. Smaug, uh, Smaug falls prey to his dragon overconfidence, and he tells the invisible thief the precise location of the most valuable thing in his hoard. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's yep. right over there, just in case you want to steal. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I feel like such an idiot right now. It's really... It's only if Bilbo steals the Arkenstone. Um, oh, uh, just just a random thought. What if Bilbo steals the Arkenstone? Uh, uh, um, Smaug is aware of it, and Bilbo steals that, and that is what really sets Smaug off. And then Bilbo's got it, and and then you know Smaug's gone, and he's talking to Thorin and stuff, and Thorin's like, you know, hmm, I wonder what really set the dread. Like, why did he get so angry and leave? And Bilbo's like, well, I don't know. So it was this cup I took. Yeah, this cup made him. Exactly. See, that's interesting. Ooh. 
That's you guys are getting very creative. That is one, one thing for sure about this whole, um, the, the emphasis on the, the, um, the emphasis on the Arkenstone. Bilbo knows what it is. He's been told repeatedly. The other dwarves know what it is. Everybody knows this is what Thorin's looking for. So this isn't like before where Bilbo's like, well, that's a pretty jewel. I'm going to just take this and kind of hold on to it. And then later on, it dawns on him what it is. Bilbo is going to take this knowing full well what it is, or at least will learn much earlier on what it is and how important it is to Thorin, which only strengthens the, the, the betrayal. Right. That's what yes. I was thinking. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, but anyway, back to the riddle. I'm going with B. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. As am I. Come on, somebody go with D. Oh, I had to. Yeah. I had to resist Corey's silver tongue. The safe answer, huh? I understand. Oh, look at that. I understand. It's not. I wouldn't call it the cowardly approach or anything, but it is the safe <laughs> answer. Well, I'd like we to get more right this year than less right than you. <laughs> should we launch the poll? Yes. Yeah, we should launch the poll. Okay. So I had to shorten the answers because it only gives me 60 characters. That's so fun. hopefully you guys get it. And oh, my goodness. Look at that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, oh neck and neck. It's neck and neck. Yes. Somebody pick D. <laughs> Somebody only a few pick voted. D. Come on, people. <laughs> or A. 30% of voted, people are still thinking. Oh, there we go. There we go. Somebody, somebody, somebody each said A and D now. Thank you, folks. What, um, Corey, just out of curiosity. Art said um, A. Based on the text, are we to understand, like, how, what, what is sort of the canonical text interpretation of the relationship between Smaug and, and Necromancer? I think we've discussed this before. I kind of well, I mean, is it, it, it's... Is it really just more, like, really all we seem to get from the quest for Erebor is Gandalf's fear that had... Had events been allowed to, to persist as they were, eventually Smaug would have fallen under the, the influence of Sauron. But not that they were coordinating from the very beginning, or even or even while Sauron was in his guise as necromancer. They, just, they hadn't quite gotten there yet. He was just worried that eventually they would. Yeah. I mean, the one phrase that keeps jumping out at me as I'm recalling it, and I hope I'm remembering it accurately... Um, is when Gandalf says that Sauron could have used the dragon to terrible effect. Right, yeah. Um, and that one word, used, is the only word that we have to really draw conclusions about the actual hierarchical relationship between Sauron and Smaug. Um, because otherwise you could just expect an alliance, or not even an alliance, but opportunistic, uh, but opportunism. Um, presumably it would occur to Smaug all by himself, if everybody is marching down towards Mordor and trying to defend against Sauron, who is attacking Gondor and, and moving outwards, that Sauron would think, or that Smaug, rather, would think, hey, this would be a good time to sack Rivendell. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> um, and he goes and attacks. So it's not even necessary that Smaug has to be acting as a lieutenant of Sauron in order to for Gandalf's fears still to be justified. However... That one word used seems to imply that Sauron would clearly be in the driver's seat. Now, again, it might be Sauron would exploit Smaug. Sauron would manipulate Smaug. Sauron would, you know, just kind of, you know, 
plan and hope that Smaug would act in certain ways and Smaug thinking he's doing his own thing would end up fulfilling the will of Sauron. Maybe that's what would have happened. Maybe that's what was in Tolkien's mind. But that one word used suggests that Smaug probably would have been working for or at least with Sauron. We have four people who have voted for D now. Good job, people. Whoa, D is, <laughs> D is pulled equal with C. It's equal with C, yeah. It's probably wrong, but I'm glad you voted for it. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. No, I mean, I'm surprised I, by how few people voted for A and the possibility. One. That, yeah, I think Art's the only one. And Art had... That, uh, that like... Yeah. That, like... It's entire, you know, that that I mean that they'll basically decide that they don't need to remind us of any of this, and the and that the screen time shouldn't be used on on rehashing facts that um, that like it, it, it for the average moviegoer really doesn't add to or detract from their enjoyment of the film. Do they really care why why Smog's there? No. And we've already told you in the previous film, which we're assuming that you watched. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a-, a seems like a pretty, like, a decent bet, people. Oh, well, <laughs> Mr. Chance. Yeah, well, they don't get recorded like ours does. <laughs> they can change true. their minds. That's true. Yeah, that's um, true. yeah. I don't think... The more I think about it, I'm not sure that D is unlikely. It's We'll see. I, I mean, okay, it is unlikely. I don't think it's impossible, though. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see, you know, what the coordination looks like. Um, yeah. Well, I'm still confident in C, so I think that the three <laughs> other people who joined me would be very happy that they did. <laughs> and I've totally not talked you all off a cliff in the same way that I usually do. Um, <clears throat> good. Well, we should let everyone go at last. Um, but... Uh, it's been fun, as always. Um, we are going to do, for next time, two weeks from now, we were realizing this morning we only have maybe two episodes before left, before the film comes out. Um, so for the next episode, we're going to do the, discu- the discussion of the extended edition. So if you haven't gotten a chance to see the extended edition and the extras yet, um, do that uh, You know, in the next two weeks here. And we will talk about the extended edition scenes next time. And then we will... Um, uh, and then we'll do a review uh, for in our beginning of December episode, which will probably be our last one before. And there will be, I know, at least one more vlog, uh, Jackson's. Yes, yes. Cool. All right. So very good. Thanks, everybody, for your patience, for everyone who has <clears throat> borne with us for this very long and unexpectedly feisty discussion. And uh, <laughs> we, have, we have enjoyed uh, having you with us here today. And we'll say, as always, thanks for listening, and Godspeed.